Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today we are talking about the new trilogy of Star Wars movies, and to be clear, we're recording this before Episode 9 has come out, so we're really talking about uh, Episode 7, The Force Awakens, written by Lawrence Kasdan and J.J. Abrams, and Michael Arndt, directed by J.J. Abrams, and The Last Jedi, written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Uh, We will be talking about episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, And we're going to do that as a patron exclusive episode. So uh, we all have tickets to see it right, you know, when it comes out. And so we're going to gather up probably remotely because we'll be off doing our holiday things, but record all of our thoughts, do a a special episode on that, and then release that to the patrons as soon as possible after the movie comes out. Um, But for now, we're talking about The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and then some Rogue One, some Solo, some Mandalorian, just the general the new Star Wars movies, the new era that we're in. The Disney Star Wars universe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm joined by the Lessons from the Screenplay team, writer Trisha Aran. Hello, everyone. Writer Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And editor Alex Cayeros. Hi. So we're finally at the point where we're talking about Star Wars movies that I've actually made videos about. And so mm-hmm. a lot of my thoughts I've expressed in these videos. And going back and rewatching them, I've had, I mostly agree with myself, but there are some things that I feel like my thoughts have changed with or changed for on about <laughs> you, thoughts have changed it's one of those prepositions you've <laughs> yeah, got it one of those yeah yeah so i, I think i just want to like paint the picture of hearing about disney's making new star wars movies mm-hmm. in that moment because that was i feel like we're old enough now like we've been on this journey where twice in my life anyway I've lived thinking, oh, there will not be any more Star Wars movies, and mm-hmm. then heard they're making new Star Wars movies. And so the second time after, you know, Disney bought Lucasfilm and there's all this stuff, and they're going to make these Star Wars movies, I was like, ah, but why? Like, do we need more? Like, maybe we shouldn't. And then hearing all the different, like, you know, when they were trying to figure out the, which director, there was lots of names being tossed around. And I remember I was on LA Metro randomly uh, when I heard that it was J.J. Abrams that was going to make the first one. And my first thought was, uh, I don't know, but like, yeah, but I don't know. And I feel like it's just, it's a hard thing to decide who who can take up the mantle of Star Wars. Sure. Who is the right person to make a Star Wars movie? Um, what were your guys' reactions when you heard J.J.? I, I thought it was... It felt like a safe choice because he had done Star Trek at that point. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like you've done a successful, crowd-pleasing reboot of a, the other big sci-fi franchise. So it just felt like kind of the logical, I don't know, Disney corporate choice. Like, this one is safe. Do this one. So I think that was my reaction was, sure, good. Like, he won't do a bad job, but it also feels very obvious in that way which maybe it should maybe you're making the biggest thing ever you should choose the safest choice i don't know but i i was i was hoping i think for something that was a little more interesting well so i agree with you about jj jj had already positioned himself as being the inheritor of sort of the spielberg and lucas school of filmmaking exactly right with super eight so like we're not really in that sense, I was not surprised at all, and I was pretty excited about it. I was like, this is a really good choice. I'm a JJ fan and have been going back to Felicity, <laughs> but I I was a massive Alias fan, and so, and of course, Lost as well, but like, um, he really is just a spectacular, and I mean that in the literal sense of like visually, like- Spectacle. Yes, yeah. exactly. Huge blockbuster style um, filmmaker, and so- 
and definitely seems like he has come out of that school. And so I was I thought it was a really excellent choice. And then I got my wish when they announced Ryan Johnson was going to do the next one because that is right. the edgier, weirder. I mean, I'm a massive Ryan Johnson fan as well, but I was just Same. like, how in the hell did he get this lucky? Like, <laughs> right. He definitely doesn't, you know, JJ has the resume. Ryan Johnson kind of doesn't. And so I was very excited for that reason. Um, and when they, I think when they originally announced Trevorrow, he hadn't made Jurassic World yet. So kind of no one knew what to think or <laughs> yeah. like it was while Jurassic World was in production or in post, I think. And so everyone was kind of like, Great, maybe Jurassic World and then maybe Trevorrow. And then as we know, we didn't, that didn't happen because after we saw Jurassic World, we got worried. <laughs> and by we, I mean me and probably a lot of studio execs. Well, it was but, when Book of Henry came out, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jurassic World made lots of money. So I yeah. know it did. Yeah. It did. Money wise, it was all fine. But I think also there's more internal him working with people things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, with JJ, I thought he was the, sort of seemed the natural heir. And I think he, delivered exactly that i mean we can get into it brian i really like jj's uh, first star trek movie and i really like mission impossible 3 yeah. and then i think his other movies i i have never disliked one of his movies even if i wasn't didn't find them like super exciting but yeah he just felt like someone who'd never really made like a bad movie so i thought he was a good choice i got more excited when they announced the cast i think mm. um which maybe that's jumping ahead a little, but like I, I just feel like the cast was full of people that I had seen in things and I knew their names, but like the general public didn't. So like I was watching Girls and like was obsessed with Adam Driver on oh, that yeah. show and Oscar Isaac in in Drive for one, who's like his performance in that movie is amazing and plenty of other movies that he's in. Inside like, Lewin Davis. Yeah, yeah Lewin yeah, Davis. Uh, Ex so Machina. Yeah. Um, so he was just someone where I was like, had, had my eye on, you know, and John Boyega from Attack the Block, which is a fun yeah, movie yeah. that he's cool in. And uh, Don McGleason from About Time and uh, Lupita Nyong'o, who like can't go wrong with Andy Serkis, you can't go wrong with. It just felt like such a nice, like we're not going for these obvious right. like choices. We're going for these actors who have done really good work. And if you have been following along with their careers, you know how good they are. But if you're an average moviegoer, you're not going to know any of their names. And I just thought that would, that got me more excited than J.J. as the director. Well, and I would say probably a lot of those were J.J.'s call or like, you mm-hmm. know, heavily influenced by that because he is kind of known for making careers, mm. right? He kind of plucks people out of not total obscurity, but out of like sort of low level. He has an eye for talent. And I think he like brings that into his casting. And so I was with you. I was like, this is some cool like mm-hmm. casting. Um, yeah. I just remember living in LA, having a bunch of actor friends, them all getting excited because the sides or like the the casting announcement was going out. Uh-huh. We're casting like someone for the new Star Wars and like them reading the description and everyone sending in their tapes and stuff. So I, I agree. I was tentative about JJ just because kind of like you were saying, Alex, he's the safe choice and like he makes fun movies, but like was it going to have the weight of like Star Wars? Right. I feel like with JJ Abrams movies, I always have a good time, but I don't often, there's not a weight to them right. in my experience usually. Like I, I don't leave them feeling like, oh, whoa, that was like a big, full, like weighty movie experience. You know, I, I usually yeah, feel like- Star Wars, like- But like there's weighty stuff in Star Wars. Yeah. There's like I feel like the epicness of like the Skywalker saga is weighty. Yeah, there's a reason Empire is a lot of people's favorite Star Wars movie. It's not just because there's a Hoth battle. Sure and true, but I'm just saying like it makes total sense that you want someone who can deliver the splashy action stuff with like a little kick of like emotion. It's probably also because I'm I'm a big Next Generation fan Um, in the Star Trek universe and he was really channeling like just this 
fun bounciness of like actual original Star Trek, which mm. I never was into. He I love how your, your insult for anything action related is bouncy. Like it's anything just, that you've done. It's all too bouncy. I love it. I want crunchy and hard. I don't want bouncy. Um, it's fine. But anyway, <laughs> but but I think I think I was a little biased because I I want, you know, Jean-Luc Picard weighty Star Trek and he, right. and he gave us bouncy Star Trek, which is fine. It was great. But, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, and I just I remember channeling back to our conversation about the hype of episode one. Mm. I was very tuned. As soon as this was happening, I was like, I don't want to know anything. I'm not going to pay attention. And I remember waking up one morning, it was Christmas time, and seeing there was a new Star Wars teaser. And mm-hmm. I was like, am I going to do this? Mm. Yes, I'm going to do it. And I, it's I, I'm going to remember this experience for my entire life, I think, because you have all the expectations of the prequels of like, please just don't let it be that like can it be but will it be good like how like what will it be there's just so many questions and it just starts with that opening shot and the music so and it's just the desert and then finn pops up yep. and it's just like immediately broke my brain yes because it's like it's a stormtrooper it's like a black stormtrooper yeah. like that's the first frame that you're showing anyone from this new star wars trilogy like that was really meaningful i thought and just the imagery of you know, the crashed Star Destroyer and like the, it was just it was amazing. It made me so, so excited for it. And that carried all the way through to then watching it for the first time. And I feel like any reservations I had about JJ, ultimately, I was like, this was the perfect choice, I think, because I think he made the hell out of that movie. Like there's just so much that you have to do in The Force Awakens. And I think I want to talk about all the things that it has to do. But he managed for me anyway, to make it a really fun experience where most of the time I felt like I was watching a movie, which never really <laughs> happened in the prequels. Like, <laughs> I remember the the opening sequence where you're, you're seeing Ray's daily life. I remember thinking in the theater, I'm watching a movie right, right now. Like, I'm not thinking about, oh, this would be a good movie if it were a movie. I was just <laughs> watching a movie. Yeah. And so overall, that was that energy kind of carried me through The Force Awakens was it's not a perfect movie, but it had all the fun that I wanted from a Star Wars movie. And it made me feel like a kid again, which yeah. I hadn't felt in forever. And I ended up seeing it five times in the theaters for that reason. Well, I also feel like that trailer did a good job of explaining, like showing off the movie. And yes. it, wasn't like a, it wasn't like a you ripped me off kind of trailer. I was going to say, I watched it again recently after rewatching all the prequels. And man, after watching the prequels, I was like, Force Awakens is amazing. (laughs) This is so good. Like, it was like, this is Star Wars again, which is ironic because it's like Lucas made the prequels. But (laughs) it was just, it was such a relief almost to, especially the first half of Force Awakens, I think is pretty perfect. And my problems really start at the midpoint on. But the first half, I was just thoroughly enjoying every minute of it. And remembering, oh, wow, yeah, like this, this was so much fun. I think I have kind of a just hazy memory of it in my mind because I don't find it to be perfect all the way through. I just kind of like, okay, yeah, it was fine. But man, once again, following the prequels, damn, he did a good job. Well, I actually had the same experience watching the original trilogy and then going right into Force Awakens, which was, as I'll talk about, and I mentioned briefly last time, um, one thing I don't love about the movie is that it's just too familiar, but it was watching six and then going into seven. It just felt like, yeah, this feels like I am watching 
the next movie in this series. And that's, right. that was, so it's nice that you had that experience, Alex, and I had it, but coming off of the prequels and the original trilogy, both, both those things made you go, no, seven feels well, cause correct. It, it, feel, it does feel like a return to, it was like, you're going home right. in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, the prequels are this strange thing. And seven is like going home to the thing that you, you kind of, forgot about chewy we're home exactly well yeah they, they put it in the trailer yeah. <laughs> i mean so i talked about this briefly in the last episode of just how daunting it would be as a creator to try to like step into the role of making a new star wars and not you know not coming from basically you're not beholden in any way to the prequels so like Regardless of what happened in the prequels, you kind of, if there are a few characters that carry through, then that's fine. But really what you're beholden to is something that is 40 years old, you know, at that point. And so you really are, I don't know, it's just the the absolute burden of carrying the fans' expectations and all of that stuff. And I think the answer is what we sort of have already touched on briefly, which is just the amount of love that it's clear that went into The Force Awakens. Like, when you watch that movie, it is, you know, and the biggest criticism of it is that it's derivative, right? Is that it's derivative of especially A New Hope. It is pretty amazing watching again. I was like, check, check, (laughs) check. Like, it was, like, going down the beats, it was pretty amazing. I mean, it definitely... Is a new hope. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> there's a droid with the secret thing on it that is being pursued by the Empire, and there's a person on a there, desert planet. Desert planet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a desert planet and a snowy planet and a foresty planet. Right. Like, <laughs> just check all three movies. <laughs> check, check, check. It is yeah. weird because I feel like this was my first encounter with this kind of reboot sequel, or or like mm. the, the first time it's I kind of both. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that I understood it because that's kind of what he did with. Star Trek too, right? Exactly. And it was like we're erasing the past, t- so it's Star Trek, but it's also this new thing. So like, we're gonna keep the things you like, but also we have the freedom to do whatever we want. And which I feel is like- really smart, by the way, the way that he did. That I, was I love the alternate universe solution they yeah. did for Star Trek. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that worked really well in Star Trek, and I feel like that is, I, I, I think that is in the Force Awakens. The familiarity is part of that feeling of going home, right? But it is also the thing that then feels like we're just watching the same movie again or hitting the same beats and holding you back a little bit. But I want to re-go back or like highlight the thing that you said earlier, which was just that we wanted something to remind us why we fell in love in the first place. Right. We wanted that cathartic childhood joy of what we've talked about with the original trilogy, which was a simple story, this grand archetypal thing and we wanted to go back to that and so to make it i don't know like to basically take the plot of a new hope and kind of update it and kind of change what it is but basically make it again but with so much love in your heart and with all of these like creators and creative people the actors and obviously the production design and the sound and like we can talk about all of that stuff but to go back and like really honor what that was and basically make it again in the most loving way possible that's kind of what people wanted from their new star wars we'd been challenged we did the challenge part. <laughs> right we did the way out there version right right yeah and i talked about that last time as something that i appreciated like i i like it when people take risks and i will <laughs> talk about the last jedi <laughs> <laughs> 
But I do like it when people take risks. But I think for The Force Awakens, you really needed to remind people. You just needed to make this Valentine to not and not just to Star Wars, but to the whole era of blockbusters that Star Wars was a part of. That was like this big, you know, the high concept movie, all of that stuff that was really capturing American audiences and creating the phenomenon of the blockbuster at the time. And so to get back to that, which so many of us came up in and our parents came up in, that's why our parents love movies. That's why we're here. That's why the next generation is here. I think it was absolutely the right decision. And there's no doubt when you watch The Force Awakens that it's just like, love Star Wars, love it, love it, love it. You know, all over the screen. It's yeah, great. I, and, and I agree with that as a philosophy. I think it was it felt a little too overcompensating for me of just being like, right. oh, like the prequels went so far away. Like now we have to do everything. And I think it's too safe. Again, right. Yeah. Like when you literally have a planet destroying thing and then you literally have basically a new empire, but with a different name and that kind of thing. Then I just like the very first time I saw the movie, I felt like I had seen it before, you know, right. and like not in a good way. Like I could still go back and watch the originals if I want to see the originals again. And I had a friend um, who was very defensive of Force Awakens and he was like trying to explain all of the reasons why Force Awakens wasn't, you know, what people were saying it was. And I'm like, but you can't explain how I felt. Like <laughs> I felt the way I felt watching this movie, which was that I, it just felt too familiar and too kind of derivative. And I can't help that that's that was my first experience watching it. But then watching it again, like the second time I saw it in the theater, I like as soon as Ray showed up, I was like, oh, it's Ray. You know, like suddenly this character I'd never heard of before, just watching the movie for a second time, I was like so excited to see her again because they spend so much time with her and they do such a good job. So I like the movie. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a really well-made movie, but I can't help the fact that the first time I saw it, I just felt like, underwhelmed by what the potential what potential was there and then what I got well I want to hear what Michael has to say about this movie because last time we talked you said that the one you want to watch the most right like is The Force Awakens so tell us why Michael I think kind of like you were just saying Brian I think it's Ray for me I think it's the new characters and I think this is what J.J. Abrams does brilliantly that I think was so crucial and why this kind of overrode the familiarity problems for me was that I think introducing these new characters and making me get invested and love them and want to spend time with them is something that hadn't happened in a Star Wars movie since the originals. And yeah, like you were saying, Brian, the second, like upon seeing it the second time, I was like, oh, look, there's Ray, like mm-hmm. my favorite. And so I think that's Star Wars, you need good characters in Star Wars. You need characters you believe in. In movies, generally. In movies, yeah. Yeah. General. Ideally. But I feel like you want characters that you want to go on adventures with. and That I, are lovable. Yeah. You, just, you kind of just fall in love with. Yeah, and yeah. you like root for and all these things. And I feel like they absolutely nailed that for me with Finn and Ray and Poe. Like introducing these new characters, I was like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I like this. I'm excited to see where they're going. Um, and it was just so much fun to be with them and and there was a spirit of adventure in it definitely that yeah was just super fun like it was just fun to watch the movie like that's why i saw it five times every time it was fun to watch most of this movie well and bo- both ray and finn are kind of childlike mm-hmm. in a way that is a little bit annoying where she's like literally ticking off every day she's been alive i guess since a child since her parents left her i don't know there's a little bit of oversimplification there but the positive side of that is you feel their wonder as they 
Absolutely. They take off the Millennium Falcon. They meet Han Solo. You know, I love her relationship with Han Solo, the kind of father-daughter dynamic. Mm -hmm. It's really sweet, and and it all just happens so naturally. You know, it it could have been a really clunky way to integrate the, the old cast of characters, but that relationship in particular just just really i believe it immediately well i mean there is absolutely no mistaking the choice to cast three actors of our generation who grew up star wars fans into the three lead roles like who, who heard about the myths of skywalker right, exactly who are like yeah. you know luke skywalker which is exactly how any one of us would react right, <laughs> right. so there's there's absolutely not it's not coincidence they are casting these like wide-eyed you know finn is very disillusioned he wants something else um even though he you know, grew up on the dark side or well it's kind of like i'm sorry the first order brainwashed him when he was very young yeah it's unclear but yeah there's there's that generation the oscar isaac and that whole generation they are the heroes and they are living in the shadow of what went before and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Shadow of the Empire the original title of this? Or was that the second That's one? That's a video game, isn't it? No, no, no. But th- this was... Mm, I have it in a note somewhere. But yeah, there was either this one or The Last Jedi. Originally, it was called like Shadow of the Empire or something like that. But but there's very much that sense when you watch it where it's just like you have people who have um, placed their hopes or like grew up hearing these stories, grew up hearing these legends. And they're now trying to find them you know and 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 be mentored in a very real sense by the legends that they've grown up hearing and i think that's what makes ray compelling i actually do wish it was a little bit clearer though like so when you see her put on that helmet um right at the beginning where she's like eating and she's got the um x-wing fighter pilot right i'm sure there's a real name for that helmet she puts it on and she's steering she feels very familiar she feels like any kid going you know pretending they're in an x-wing and then to, for her to like want to immediately light up to see Luke Skywalker, to find the rebellion, all of that is super relatable. But I wish it were a little more linked to her eventual arc, which is something well, I really wanted to ask you about because you made a whole video about it. I think, well, I think part of my problem with, like I was saying, the oversimplification in some ways of Ray's story is she's, she's really smart and you know, sort of fix everything and is very intelligent in a lot of ways. And I feel like it's almost a disservice to her character how almost kind of dumb her her expectations are of if, I, if I'm gone from this planet for two days, those will be the days my parents come back after like 12 years and I like literally count every day. And like, what is my life been literally just being in this box for the last, you know, from childhood to adulthood? It's, it doesn't seem like an actual person. It seems, There's like a disconnect between her, her like abilities Disney, and her mental right. state. Yeah, it seems sure. like she's literally a Arrested Development child in, in some of that setup, but then she's not. So there's a little bit of a Disneyfication simplification that happens in Cartoonifying? Parts. Yeah, there, there's something that, that's going on in this movie that doesn't work for me, and that's that's part of it. Part of it is also this oversimplification of the Republic and what yeah. happened after Return of the Jedi. Like. You know, I understand wanting to have a powerful bad guy again, but the idea that the Republic is just, you can just blow up four planets and now it's done. Like, I think Finn literally says, they just did it. They got the Republic. What? At, at, they, they, <laughs> fired, they fired their new Death Star once and that's it. And Star that's Killer Base. Star Killer Base. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's trying to do that Star Trek thing of we're, we're erasing the past so we can start over, but it doesn't fit into the world well, and but like this isn't the same as a star trek reboot this right. actually is a real sequel it's episode seven after episode six episode six 
significantly was supposed to be the downfall of the empire and like the leading to the rise of a new republic and we don't get to see that we don't get to have any time in that new reality it's just this like reset button we're now an empire again just called the first order right it's kind of the alien three thing of like oh everything that that last movie did doesn't matter because this movie starts with that being sort of thrown out thrown under the bus like, yeah, yeah it's a rebellion but now we're called the resistance right. like it's just the same things with different names and nothing really mattered I wanted to echo something you said alex about being like oh no this is a star wars movie this isn't you know something and i think one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is the fact that like star wars is just fan fiction now like it's just high budget fan fiction in the same way the last couple seasons of game of thrones was just fan fiction and what's your What's your distinction? Because well, so so what it sounds like to me is that you're saying anything in an expanded universe or like some kind of extended world is fan fiction. Well, when George Lucas was in charge of Star Wars, everything that came through the expanded universe had to go through him. So there was so this are, sort of. But you wouldn't argue that George Lucas is Star Wars. I would argue he was Star Wars until he stopped being Star Wars. So so my point is, I'm not saying like everything George Lucas made is everything better than anybody else can make. That's not my point. Um, I think here's a good example of what I'm saying. Like Finn's number is FN2187 and Princess Leia's cell number was 2187. Sure. Starkiller base. Luke Skywalker was originally Luke Starkiller. Like it feels like somebody making a making their own like I'm going to make a movie about how cool the original Star Wars movies are, which is lovely, obviously, as you said, Trisha, but it again, it's like, but you are making a new Star Wars movie. Like I, I want a new Star Wars movie to feel like a new, a next chapter in Star Wars, not pressing the reset button and being like, the Empire's basically back and like what happened in six doesn't kind of matter because now it's just all happening again, but now with new characters and et cetera, et cetera. But what does that have to look like? Or perhaps who has to do that in by your definition or in your book for it to actually qualify as quote unquote new Star Wars? I think, well, there, we can talk about this after we get past the saga, but when you're making the Mandalorian or something. I'm like, do whatever you want. Take the Star Wars baton and run with it. When you are making episodes seven, eight, and nine in this four decade old franchise that has been built up and George Lucas says, here's my company. Also, here's an outline for three more movies. And, and you, then you throw the outline in the trash. You throw the lightsaber over the cliff and you say, <laughs> you know, basically I want to see J.J. Abrams make a George Lucas Star Wars movie, you know? And it's like George Lucas made his prequels and they weren't good. And then these movies are better than the prequels. Don't get me wrong. But it, was there it, a middle ground? Is there a way to like take inspiration more directly from George's vision? It just bugs me. Like make good movies. There are nine yeah. theoretical movies in this arc and he made six of them. But then when you do follow up and make seven, eight and nine, I would hope you're going to try to do what this guy has been wanting to do forever and not say, nah, thanks but take your billions and we're going to make something else now. Like that just feels deflating. Again, when they make other Star Wars movies that don't connect to the originals, I don't care what they are. Like I'm more than happy for them to be as weird or as whatever as possible. But when you are making seven, eight, and nine, it feels like maybe make the movies that the person who made the first six wanted to continue making. Well, and in fairness, it might not have been JJ's call at all. In fact, I'm not prob saying it was his. probably wasn't. No, no, no. Yeah, it was probably I, Disney execs. Sure. I feel like where that resonates for me is kind of tangential to what you were saying, but there there is, like you were saying, a, a self-referential nature to these mm -hmm. new movies that is sort of broadcasting, like, look, we're making Star Wars. Like, do you guys see? Like, look at all the Star Wars. And again, that to a Very certain... Very much. Right. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> that is lovely and fun and exciting 
to a certain degree, like, you know, it's kind of goofy, but when Finn and Ray are trying to escape the TIE fighters and their ship blows up and they're like, well, we better take this junk ship and it pans over and it's the Millennium Falcon, like, joy swelled in my heart. In that sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly. that's one of the best moments ever, I think. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Sure. But, no, that one's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, the garbage ship will do. But, but it is, like, that's a moment that also... It's a movie moment, right? It necessarily is taking you out of the world of the movie to be like, you guys know Star Wars. You know That's what Star this Wars. ship is. Look yeah. what is happening. Right. And I, I do feel like there is this maybe impossible balance <laughs> sure. to try to achieve where... Well, cause it's coming out in a context. You know, it's not, it's not Empire Strikes Back coming out two exactly. years or three years after Star Wars. It's... 40 years later, it's there's a lot of fandom that's gone into this. Mm-hmm. Right. And I do feel like The Last Jedi had an interesting take on that, and we'll get to that soon. But <laughs> but I do feel like it is this interesting, almost impossible balance that is kind of fascinating if you're trying to create a Star Wars movie or any kind of continuation of something that has a life of its own that is exactly completely indefinable. How do you carry that baton right. forward. Yeah, and, and this is something that we are just really now, and by now I mean, you know, starting about a decade ago and probably lasting about a decade from now, but we are now in this moment that we have never been in before because film is simply not old enough for us to have ever been here before. This idea of like, because blockbusters were only invented in the 70s, right? Like these big tentpole studio things. There were studio movies, you know, don't get me wrong, going way back to the 30s and stuff like that. But just this like mega franchise kind of thing only existed really in the last like 50, 60 years. And so the fact that we are in this moment now where studios are grappling for something to keep audiences coming to the theater so they're in a difficult place where they have gen z who doesn't go to the theater (laughs) and the generation (laughs) younger than gen z who don't have a name yet or whatever um but they really have only grown up ever watching movies on their big screen tvs in their homes you know on their streaming services and on their tablets and things like that so then you have gen z and then you have us right the millennials and then you have you know all of the other ones above us but Right now, we are the ones, we like basically our generation, some Gen X and some below us as well, are the only ones buying movie tickets. And so what we want is like this nostalgia stuff that they keep harvesting from our past. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. I understand that because that is the thing that studios have to do. The movie business is incredibly stable financially, economically, like even in recession, which we've gone through in 2008. We went through a huge economic recession and the movies were still doing very well. But what they have to navigate is the thousand different things that are constantly changing in the technology, which changes the medium. And so right now, the issue that we're dealing with, which is like franchise fatigue and IP like exhaustion, all of these syndromes that (laughs) ail us as a generation are very unique to our generation. And so the way that we experience these films is going to be different than anybody else does, you know. And so I don't fault the studios for playing it safe, trying to make their money back and leaning on big budget tent poles. All of these things. It makes sense financially that they would do that because if there's nothing so spectacular that brings you to the movie theater, then why are you going to the movie theater instead of watching it in your living room? So they have, they're, they're waging this war. And so 
I think what you're talking about in terms of like wanting it to just be a singular vision, that ship has way, way sailed. And I think Star Wars is one of the most prominent examples of how a franchise gets handed off and the creative control gets handed off. But I don't think it's the only one. And I also think it's not going to be something we're dealing with, you know, 50 years from now, which, yeah. It's kind of my whole Star Wars thing anyway. <laughs> long game, people. Think about the long game. It's not about these three Star Wars, although it kind of is. It's probably more about Star Wars 15 years from now that our kids are watching. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I want to talk about a little bit more about The Force Awakens, the movie itself. And I think to connect to that, I think it'd be nice if they could find again, the balance or dial in some of the things you were talking about and think about the long game. Because I, I remember as a kid imagining what I would want from an episode seven. And I think I kind of foolishly went into this expecting everyone to have read my mind and right. to just be making that movie. Mm-hmm. I actually think every boy thought so. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. In general, it's a problem I have. So I think the thing that weighs down The Force Awakens is there's so many things it's trying to do all at once. Right. And even by necessity, exactly. Well, and so as a kid, when I pictured if they ever make a seven, you know, it'll be cool because like Han and Leia and Luke will like show up and they'll like wave goodbye and like send off the new cast and then they'll just fade in and then we'll have this whole new thing. And that was not the direction they chose to go with this new trilogy where the original characters are very deeply woven into the plot. Uh, and I think it's too much. And I think, ooh. I mean, I think introducing Ray and Finn and Poe, like you get a little bit of that, but I feel like the depth of their character arcs kind of gets then pushed to the background pretty quickly because then Agree. we got to bring in Han and Chewie and what if, what's Han been up to and why are they looking for the Millennium Falcon? And then there's Leia. Okay, what's Leia been up to? What happened between Han and Leia? And how did they get to where they are now? And oh, they have a son, which is Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren's cool, but we have to establish his backstory because this is also a father-son arc for him because he's also the grandson of Darth Vader. And we're, we're still, we're doing that. So he's, we got to put all of that in there. And then there's also this Death Star. There's just, there's two, and Luke's gone. There's a map to Luke because stuff happened with Luke. Well, he tried to do stuff and, and like, there's just so much <laughs> they're trying to do. I feel like I, I do like all most of that like i think i would like yeah. all those things as story ideas but i think the casualty of it is once again that oversimplification kind of dumbing down that i'm talking about you need a four-hour movie to what like why it. is yeah. there yeah. why is there a map to luke why is there a missing piece of a map to luke why does r2d2 <laughs> go into <laughs> hyper question why is r2d2 in hibernation mode until the movie decides it's time for the movie to end and now he's gonna <laughs> wake up because it's time for the movie to end and there's a little puzzle piece and it plugs into the puzzle piece it's an right. actual puzzle <laughs> Like, yeah, JJ. <laughs> JJ. But like, and like, you know, why is Max von Sydow in this movie? And why does he have a piece of a map to Luke, but not the whole map? Like, like, why is this? These are all just happening very conveniently because it feels like there's not time in this movie for them to actually be like 
real story things. Sure. Yeah. Which is also a smart reason to like not put Luke in the first movie. But it really bugged Absolutely. me that when people asked, J- someone asked JJ like at a thing, like, oh, how come Luke isn't in any of the posters and everything? And he said, oh, I can't wait for you to find out. It's like, oh, oh you mean because he's not in the movie? Like, <laughs> he <laughs> like, wasn't allowed to say anything yeah, more. But, well, he what could have he? said less. <laughs> not, I can't wait for you to find out why he's not in the poster. Like, that makes me excited for what Luke's role is in this movie. Yeah. Mark Hamill's like, I've been training for, you know, months or whatever. It's like, because I got to turn around and scowl. <laughs> It is funny that when they did the first like cast read through, they were like, they had Mark Hamill read all the action lines and the stage directions. Mm. And at first I was like, oh, that's cool. But like, that's a lot for him to handle. And then you realize that's because he has He's no, no line, lines. other lines. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We called you all the way out here. Uh, <laughs> turn and stand. So I do think it is good that they, they took time to set up the characters. Like, I think that's why kind of like you were saying, Alex, the first hour of the movie, I like a lot because I think it is taking its time. And then it's like, okay, and now we got stuff to do. And then just so much stuff happens. Well, and I think it's exhausting. It's where it feels it feels a little bit shortcutty in a way where things don't feel as earned in the second half of the film for me. You know, it's like Are you talking about plot elements or character decisions? Both. Okay. Because so we get to the Maz Kanata stuff yeah. at whatever that planet is. And that's where I feel like it starts to be those kind of screenwriting shortcuts that don't feel earned or mm. doesn't feel like there's like a cause and effect all the time. It's like, okay, now it's time for the lightsaber to call to her. Oh, now it's time for her to like run randomly into the forest to get away from the lightsaber. Like yeah. it just doesn't feel, the writing doesn't feel as crisp or as sharp or as, I don't know. The first half of the movie, I, I buy it all. And then there's a lot of shortcuts in the second half that start to get annoying. Here's my thing. I really love The Force Awakens and I really love The Last Jedi. But my biggest problem with the entire two pieces of this like new trilogy have to do with Ray. I think the issue, and, and a lot of people have bumped on Ray as a character because she seems like she's too powerful or whatever. She seems like she's shallow, some people would say, right? Being and very polite to people that don't deserve it. But I, I continue. True, I agree. <laughs> Um, <laughs> they probably have stopped listening by now, so probably. I'm not even sure yeah. why. My thing, though, is that I, I do think that the development of Ray could have been done a little bit more deeply. And I think that we bump on characters when they seem to have like unearned motivations or unearned powers or abilities or whatever that is. And I think that's what you're talking about, Alex, where it's like, okay, so and we haven't even brought this up yet, but she like gets into a lightsaber fight with Kylo Ren at the end of this movie when wow, she suddenly has a lot of force. So much force. Well, because she closes her eyes and says, the force, and then she has all the force. The force, (laughs) yeah. Oh, what? I know what that is. But but I I think so. So we're talking about spending time with Rey at the beginning. I agree that that's the right amount of time to spend, though I wish they'd used it a little more efficiently to establish what her relationship is to these things that have gone before. So it's like, if Rey has always felt strong with the Force, which she does say later on, I think she says it in The Last Jedi, where she's like, I've always felt this thing inside of me. It's like, great. Why don't we see that at the very beginning of The Force Awakens? I would be way more into her like day in the life if there was like weird Force stuff happening. Absolutely. And not just like, I'm a little kid like with the helmet on. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to this whole thing, which is like, what does Ray want? So we know she like wishes her family to come back. That's kind of in there. But really what she wants, if you, if, 
you are searching for a family as a character. What the character is, is searching for a place to belong. Like, who do you belong to? Who are your people? But if Ray always has felt the force inside of her, why would she not potentially think that her people are the Jedi? Or this these legends that she's heard, maybe I fit in with this, like, you know, race of fallen heroes that, like, I should be a part of and should seek out. So what if that was her whole motivation? That was her whole goal. So that when her face lights up, when she says, Luke Skywalker, it makes sense to us because we've seen her grappling with right, that, right? right. We're Not like, just because we know who Luke Skywalker exactly. is. Exactly. What if it's a whole thing where, like, she's trying to use the Force, where she's just, like, in her, you know, fallen AT-AT tank or whatever that she's in, and we see her trying to use the Force to, like, summon something, like, and it's, like, it rattles, but it doesn't come to her, right? We kind of get a hint that she feels out of place where she is, that she thinks there's something special about her, whatever. So if you could more right, clearly develop that, because waiting for your family is one thing, but trying to find a family actively is another, which is what you are kind of talking about, <laughs> Force Awakens versus Rogue One video. Where I do say, at the beginning, she's an active protagonist, although I do, as we were discussing before the podcast, I think I kind of oversimplified in that video where I compare... Ray and Jin and say Ray is an active protagonist and Jin is not and that's an oversimplification. Sure. Very much so. Yeah. But I agree. I think they actually do with sound design a little bit when Ray hears BB eight. I think there's like mm. two times where she hears something and like the way it's designed, it sounds like it's a little too close in her head, like Oh, the, it's like, like she you can know. hear him even though he's distant. Right, yeah. exactly. And now that's not what you're talking about, obviously, no. Trisha. You're talking like, let's get some textual connection with the force. But I think that they do like little tiny things, which is cool. But Very it's, subtle. It's not yeah. enough, yeah. And well, so and maybe, because I think this is probably a good time to transition to The Last Jedi. But a, a thing I was thinking about when you were saying this was, I'm remembering the marketing for The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there was a certain amount of effort being put into thinking like trying to make people think that Finn was the Jedi. Yes, yeah. because they show him turning on the lightsaber. And the lightsaber, right. and yeah. And all the posters have him with the lightsaber and Ray just has the, the herp stick. And it was a fun twist in the movie to realize she is the See, I never thought like at no point was it there a doubt in my head that she was the one with the force. Right. And really? I, I, I don't know why, but it was Because you didn't watch the trailers or anything. Well, but... I actually did watch... Well, I watched some not, of the trailers. Not the final trailer. I didn't watch the final yeah. trailer. Yeah. See, and this is another criticism that I actually have about The Force Awakens, which is they should never have Finn do anything with a lightsaber or the Force or anything Jedi-related ever. Rey refuses the lightsaber, which is fine and good. Unclear and then, reasons. Let's go run into the forest. <sighs> Yikes. Um, But... They should never give it to Finn. It doesn't belong with him because that is the thing that you were talking about in The Last Jedi, which is like, I like the initial trajectory of Finn's arc of a stormtrooper who gets disillusioned with the violence and chaos and the darkness of the First Order. And then he wants to leave the First Order, but that's only one decision. It's like a far cry from between leaving the First Order and joining the Rebellion, as it should be. And so I like that that's his arc. It's like this nice, neat, clean, I'm going to leave the First Order, then I'm out for myself and like looking out for myself. Potentially, I might join the Rebellion, but only if meaningfully compelled, right? And so I wish that there had been more of that like focus, focus on the character plot lines. Don't involve Finn with the Jedi or the Force. Don't involve Ray with like that other thing, other than like there may be emotional connection, 
But in terms of like their relationship, Finn's relationship is purely political and Ray's is more like of this spiritual searching for my home destiny kind of thing. Well, I also never really bought, once again, in that in that midpoint that starts to bother me in this movie, I don't get why Finn thinks it's safer to not be with the resistance. Like, like they're all going to go take this droid to the resistance, which is like fighting the First Order and I think would be pretty safe if you're at their base i don't know i guess not in this world but i just i didn't buy how he was so adamantly like i'm not gonna come with you i care about right i'm not gonna come with you to deliver this droid i'm gonna (laughs) go with these two aliens to the outer rim or something like it felt like one of those false conflicts in a movie where it's like we need some conflict we gotta like have a sadness of him leaving so we're gonna pretend like he's leaving or it needs to be explained because maybe he knows i mean he worked on star killer base he might know they're gonna blow up the resistance headquarters but then you know say something if (laughs) if he had said they literally can blow up entire planets like y'all are doomed i'm out of here like that would be great but it was too vague it was too like I just think you're trying to make me sad, but I know it's not over and I know he's going to come back together with them immediately. It's all too neatly intertwined where it seems like what you're bumping on in Me Too has to do with we're all in a Star Wars movie, so let's all go do a Star Wars thing together. That's how it feels. And it feels like it's almost winking at the camera when they say that stuff. I mean, even when Han is like, yeah. so what? It's a Death Star. It's bigger. So what? There's a way to blow it up. That's There's always, always a way, a way to, to blow, blow it up. up. Well, like, that, that scene is kind of, I think in the first viewing of it, oof. where I really bumped. Because mm. it, yeah. it really felt like it was almost, it felt cheap in, in a sense of, we're just going to rush through this obligatory scene that is exactly the same as every other scene. And we're going to hang a lantern on it. So it won't bother you. We'll have Han say something about right. it. Right. It's it's a it's like it almost crossed into that Marvel territory, which I don't like. Yeah. Where it all a becomes, little too self aware. It's all self aware. It's all kind of a joke. And then it's like, wait, but this is a Star Wars movie. That's yeah. not a side movie. It's like part of the original, like the quote unquote, like main Skywalker saga. You can't do that in the main saga. It's got to be still real in the main saga, not like a winky winky. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I have I have a part two to my sort of like how do you manage this whole thing that'll, I think, take us into Last Jedi, which is like, okay, everything I said before, forget about. So (laughs) like you take George Lucas' outline, you say, thanks, but no thanks. We're doing our own thing. And then you, meaning Kathleen Kennedy, Disney, like everybody involved, you sit down and you say, we have to relaunch the like biggest franchise that's currently not operating. And we are going to make side that we're going to make live action shows. We're going to make side movies, but we are also making the the last three in this nine part series. And again, if you're going to make your own thing and not do whatever George's outline was fine. Okay. But then you sit you sit down and you come up with who are these characters? How are we going to tell this story? And you have three movies in which to tell your story. And then the last Jedi comes out and this is not nothing against Ryan Johnson. It's people started asking him on Twitter. Oh, why did you say Ray's parents were nobody? And why did you, you know, have Luke throw the lightsaber at the beginning? Why did you, he said, well, I chose to do this because da da da. I chose da da da. And I'm like, wait a minute. They said, we're going to make this trilogy. And then after making the first movie, they handed it off to somebody who had no involvement in, and again, this is not against Ryan Johnson. It's against the decision to not for, not outline this entire trilogy, make one movie with a bunch of questions, hand it off to somebody else who had, had no involvement in the original thing and say, go make a second movie now. And obviously they are overseeing his decisions and stuff, but it still just felt like, how did they not know the answers to all their questions when they made seven? Like you should know where you're going in this trilogy. Yeah. It was part of the, 
jj abrams thing sometimes right, right. i love him i love jj like i love <laughs> most of the things he's made like i'm not anti jj abrams but i do get that feeling where it's like you're raising lots of really interesting questions jj i really hope you have amazing answers for them right. because if you don't it's going to be a problem later on when i think i like i agree i think that is the real problem leaving the theater in the last jedi you know, I had I'd been on a crazy ride. I think The Last Jedi has some of my favorite Star Wars moments in it. It Ever, was yeah. a very surprising yes. theater experience. Like it has four acts, basically. Like yes. so it much happens that I was not expecting from a Star Wars movie, and that was awesome. Like it, it wasn't the Marvel sequel that I was kind of expecting, and like had made my pace with, and I was I was ready for that. Of like, yeah, let's do another fun ride, Force Awakens. Like that's what this is going to be, The Last Jedi went places and tried things and went for it a hundred percent. And I, some of the result from that was elation and awesome theater experiences, but ultimately walking out, I didn't feel excited anymore. And I mostly felt confused. And I think because like you were saying, Brian, it, it almost felt like the things that happened in the last Jedi seemed to serve to actually press the reset button of like, let's deal with everything that's come before. Let's like wipe the slate clean so that now we can tell the story of these characters for real. And that probably should have been done in the first episode if you're going right. to do it right. and not right <laughs> before we run into the finale. Yeah. And so I think any anything else is like whatever. I think people can have different opinions about it. But for me, that's that's the frustrating part of the last Jedi is some of the things that were introduced in the force awakens, it got rid of, and I was happy about it. Like, yeah, we didn't really need that. That's fine. You got rid of it. Snoke. Right. But we definitely didn't need Snoke, (laughs) but the problem is you're Ryan Johnson. You inherit Snoke. You didn't want Snoke to begin with, but here you sit. Right. And so I really feel for him in that sense, and I absolutely agree with you. My problem is not with either The Force Awakens. I actually don't have any, even have a huge problem, for, for the record. Like, I really like both of these movies, and they mm-hmm. bring me joy. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a problem with either one individually. I do think there is a jarring lack of continuity between the two, between these two singular visions of honestly both very visionary, very different creators, And I like the idea of handing a new trilogy, quote unquote, off to three different directors, which was what Disney was originally planning to do. It's a nice idea, but maybe plan the whole thing at the outset or like just in rough terms, because, you know, we criticized the prequels a lot, but there was a singular vision across them. So the continuity between the three does feel there. They are consistently it's weird. Painful. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks, but it is there in a way that I, I get why the thing is, I, I can't read the mind of a last Jedi detractor, like a real toxic detractor, but no, I would imagine. Nor should you have to. I would venture to say part of the disorientation is just, good old-fashioned whiplash from something like The Force Awakens to something like The Last Jedi, which is just something very familiar, safe, very Star Wars-y, love letter to the original, to something that is out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a way that I love, but it is out there. And and if you had trouble making that switch, I don't fault you. And I think Ryan Johnson probably had to know when he stepped into that role, he was going to make some enemies, probably by by 
changing gears so suddenly. Yeah. When I think an early red flag, you know, Michael Arndt, who wrote Toy Story 3, I believe, mm-hmm. and yep. Little Miss Sunshine, was originally writing what became The Force Awakens. And his process was, he sort of explained, like, I have a slow process. Like, you can't rush. He asked for 18 more months. And Disney was like, we have a release date. And I feel like that's an early red flag of we just need these movies out on these dates to make money. And so there wasn't the time to plan it out. Mm -hmm. 18 months. Listen. (laughs) I would love 18 months to write a feature. I mean, it's a hard, ch- it's, but it's Star Wars. It's a hard challenge. <laughs> of course, of course, of Star course. Yeah. And, and the research piece alone would take you. Like, yeah. because you would want to read as much as you possibly can about the world and the extended universe, all that stuff. So like, I think in general, the, the choice. I feel for him, but, but yeah. and you don't want to rush the process of writing. And I think that generally rushing a writing process is a bad call. Yeah. I think in general, the choice to release five Star Wars movies in five years means <laughs> there's a lot. Sacrifice quality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. I'll just say about Last Jedi. So when I first saw it in theaters, I bumped on a lot of it. But like you said, Michael, I was in Star Wars heaven in a way that I hadn't been in Force Awakens the first time I saw it during certain moments. And some of it was the surprises like the uh, the Rey and Kylo storyline. Oh, I love it so much. Like it was was a new thing. It was a new story in Star Wars that I hadn't seen before. And it was genuinely thrilling to get to experience this new thing that still felt Star Wars, but was new and expanding what was possible in the universe. And and I and I was down with Luke Skywalker's character. I, Me too. I was down with the decision. And I felt like it actually, when you learn what the backstory is and what happened with Kylo Ren and the different perspectives on it, that was all really interesting. And it was really fun to kind of discover that with the movie. And... I love Ryan Johnson. I he's one of my favorite directors. Uh, one of my favorite movies is The Brothers Bloom, which nobody's seen, but it's I have. Uh, yeah, you've seen it. But I I love Ryan Johnson. I just I I he's just like a his spirit I I resonate with. Brick is a masterpiece. Yeah, it, I I just It's an actual masterpiece. Yeah. We actually should do a video about it. We should. Also, so also Looper's fun. I love Looper. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So anyway, Ryan Johnson, I love you. I just want to put that out there. You're great. I just don't understand <laughs> what happened with like parts of this movie because like there's such, this is what you covered in your video, Michael, on the Last Jedi, which is there's amazing character arcs for people like Kylo Ren and yep. such satisfaction to watch that journey, and then I feel like so much of Star Wars was also broken in this movie for me when you go off with Finn and Rose. Broken is a big word. I, if, but. I don't know when you're on a casino planet with like a Ryan Johnson character, like from the brothers bloom, who's like the code, the master code breaker with his little lapel pin. And like, it, it doesn't, it really didn't feel like star Wars like that. You know, yeah, there's a fifties diner in episode two, but it's like for a second, but there was like a whole swaths of this movie that felt like they were breaking star Wars. And in a way that didn't feel like necessary or like I don't understand what the upside of this is it just just feels like a very strange decision yeah that that's been my biggest frustration with anything 
you know, when we talked about New Hope, especially, I was just like, everything from this movie feels, it feels like, as you said, Trisha, like familiar in a sense of like, oh, it's a farm boy or whatever. But like, no frame of this movie feels like I've seen this in my world before. And then in episode two, you have the diner scene. And then in episode eight, you have Canto Bite. This is not a spoiler for The Mandalorian, but there's a new character on the, uh, on episode, in episode five who like, has like a hoop earring because he's like a cool, like, 20 year old or whatever and I'm just like oh he feels too familiar he feels like too earthbound too earthbound exactly and I think that most Star Wars does not feel earthbound and then whenever it does especially when it's as incredibly on the nose as the diner and Canto Bite where it's just oh it's just Monte Carlo slash Casablanca like there's there's literally like rich old white ladies like using like a slot machine like it's it in, in wearing like costumes that just look like like rich people on earth costumes. I don't necessarily defend Cantabite, but I just want to say <laughs> that Star Wars has very much, especially in recent years, operated in genre terms of very earthbound ideas and genres. So like you just mentioned the Mandalorian. Well, it's a Western. It's very hard a Western. Right. right. The, the and- style of how you make your film is different from the things that I'm the looking mise- at. The mise-en-scene. Right. The things yeah. that I'm looking at actually reminding me of Earth. I don't disagree. I'm just saying if you are a Star Wars creator then where you're operating in like, okay, this is a an opera as we've talked about or this is a noir sort of detective thing as we talked about in the last episode. Like you're operating in different genres within the Star Wars universe. So you're overlaying the Star Wars universe thing onto it. And I guess the question just becomes like, okay, how thick does that tracing paper have to be, right? Because what is it? I'm not saying that I love Canto Bite. I don't. Or the diner. I'm just saying. <laughs> that diner. <laughs> no one loves the diner. But just put yourself in the seat of a Star Wars creator where we are always borrowing tropes, ideas. Like, look at the Mandalorian. It is like he's wandering in and out of saloons. He's like stopping sure. on like these little planets and saving them from like raiders. It's sure. the most Western thing you could imagine. And it's not. And samurai. There's there's very little, of course, samurai. There's very little veneer over that. And so I'm saying it's difficult if you are the person in charge to figure out what that line is. And I think that, you know, I agree people have crossed it. Right. I'm just saying. I think I think the most lies of Cantina is the perfect example of what I want. What I want, which is sure. you look at the Cantina and it's like, this is very clearly a dive bar. Like we've all been in bars like this. We understand exactly what it is, but it in no way looks like any bar I've been into except for my friend's bar, which is based on it. Uh, Scum and villainy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I just, that's what I mean. It's like, there are ways to make a thing where you're like, oh, I understand this is reminiscent of a casino, you know, of Monte Carlo, of whatever. Not, this is basically, I copy and pasted Monte Carlo and threw some furry people in there and now it's a sci-fi thing, you know. Right, and there's like a lady singing opera as we burst through on our horse things and like, just... (laughs) I'm I'm gonna agree with... (laughs) I I don't think actually we're disagreeing about this at all. We aren't, we aren't at all. (laughs) I I just want to underscore what Trisha, what you're saying, that it's hard. It's of course, so it hard. Be. It's there's there is a line drawn in the sand where if you cross it, this is not Star Wars but anymore. But it's invisible. But it's invisible. And who gets to decide what that is? And sure. sure. Right. And it's a shared line between billions of people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, I have complete empathy for Ryan Johnson, and I, I, the the sense I got watching it again also was he took. 
like he was almost too honorable is the impression I'm getting with with his design of the last Jedi where he he was handed all these things in the Force Awakens and he was like okay I'm going to use these things and everything is going to be based up so whatever Finn was doing like yeah let's really dive into that Snoke and that really like 100% let's dive into it and turn it into the best possible version of itself and I almost wish he kind of just skipped a little bit or you know if he had this other vision of what he wanted the story to be like don't hold quite as tightly onto the things from the force awakens because i I feel like he really does provide an arc and an end storyline to everything that he was given in the force awakens but not all of it was deserving of the arc that it it got he tried to give it yeah and and i think he did a great job with so much of it, but I think there could have been something even better had he not done it. And and it was it's also interesting that he chose to take it as far as he did. Like I love the the Snoke Ray Kylo scene, right? It's very reminiscent the best. of Return of the Jedi yeah. and with the Emperor and all that stuff. I really wanted Snoke to be like two inches tall. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Can we, just, what... can we just hold for one second? Sure. And talk about Snoke. Just how much and michael and i we've discussed this our brains just broke they were shattered when in force awakens it seemed that potentially jj abrams had created a new emperor figure that was literally the size of a building a giant <laughs> and because the way that scene is shot it, is. it looks like he's physically in the room there's no indication that he's a hologram he even like i watched it again he like blocks light sources yes. as he moves yes. around as if he is a physical gigantic person mm. thing creature and only at the end of the scene do they reveal the hologram. It's hologram, yeah. And I, that was the strangest decision to me because I don't think I've ever watched that scene and heard what was being said. Right. Because I'm just like, what? The what? Hell? what is that? <laughs> it's so CG. It's so big. This is so goofy. How is this Star Wars? What mm. am I looking at? I remember sitting in the theater and looking over at you as having that moment of what is happening like, did he just break star or like, it was giant it was really good up until now but right. now there's like giant gooey people right like <laughs> gooey bouncy people gooey bouncy right. people i don't like it nobody <laughs> wants it episode 10 rise of the gooey bouncy people. <laughs> but then again to ryan johnson's credit i think he i like snoke in this movie right he yeah. bring he makes he brings him down to earth so much you see yeah. he's a person he's some of the best cgi i feel like really ever, good yeah. ever been yeah. rendered and his arc with kylo i think is really powerful and the manipulation and just all of that is really 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 well done yeah and, and so again i feel like it's well, the... so so why so why do you think because for so for me just like you said in your video michael the biggest weak point of this movie is everything besides the kylo ray stuff and why do you think that was a result of him holding on too tightly to the force awakens art because i don't think finn's storyline with Rose in this movie really comes out of Force Awakens. It's, I agree. It feels I feels like a side quest. It's, it's a completely bizarre yeah, side quest. I don't think yeah. it's a side yeah. quest. I, I think that The Last Jedi is thematically cohesive. Yes. And I think the themes that it explores are themes of failure and like resolution and moving on from failure and moving on from the past. So like failing and releasing failure. I think those are themes that Ryan Johnson really wanted to talk about. And well, do you feel- so he created this middle act of The Last Jedi to really be about failure and letting go of it. 
The unfortunate part is that he ended up laying that um, on Finn. And I think Finn would be a decent person to grapple with that if what you were talking about in the video, Michael, the emphasis on like the way he spent the first half of his life and his disappointment in that is highlighted. Like what if Finn carried a lot of guilt? Like, what if he was really distraught about his part in the First Order up until this point? And so instead of just, like, trying to seek out something for himself, he was set on, like, trying to redeem himself. That would create a lot of weight for his plot line in this movie where it's, like, not just I do want to help the rebellion, but mainly I want to do something good because I've been responsible for all this loss of life. I'm just saying if you're going to, like say something thematically as a filmmaker and you want to place it upon one of your characters, make sure that it is aligned to a facet of that character's story up until this point. Finn just feels very thin to me. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Well, and I think, so I think that is the problem with Finn in general. And I like Finn and I want him to be, and like, I love his relationship with Ray. I feel like their chemistry in The Force Awakens was fun. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, and, and great backstory, the idea of being brainwashed to be part of the yeah, Empire, absolutely. basically. Yeah, we all love Finn, which is why it's frustrating in Last Jedi that he doesn't have right. as much to do. I think for me, the the connection to The Force Awakens is, you know, in the audio commentary, Ryan Johnson is talking about Finn, talking about how, like you were saying, Tris, he's He's left the Empire, but he hasn't joined the Rebellion, and that's still being a struggle for him. But textually, that's really not in The Last Jedi it's at not. all. And I... It's, barely. It's barely. Yeah, and I don't and feel like it's... And they cut other references that were in there. Right. They cut deleted scenes, which I think would have helped a lot. And I think at the end of The Force Awakens, maybe just because of conditioning, but I'm not sitting there looking at him at the end of the force awakens thinking like man i hope he joins the resistance when he wakes up like he's just been on this journey you kind of just assume like yeah you're part of the team now. you're That's the good what... guys right right he's definitely like invested right yeah and so it's weird to then hang so much of his storyline on these things that aren't in the movie ultimately and aren't really there in any kind of emotional way at the end of the force awakens okay because even if they were in the movie i don't know if i would buy them I don't like I don't buy that his character is the type that is a Han Solo who is going to look out for himself and just isn't it for himself. Like he never yeah. acts that way. He always cares about the people around him. I was going to say that is like the original trilogy does a really good job of distinguishing there's good guys like noble good guys. There's evil bad guys and then there's sort of like opportunists in the mix. Yes. Right. And the original trilogy does that very well, where you have somebody like Han who starts out as an opportunist, but eventually becomes a good guy. But we understand from the minute we meet him, he's not a good guy. He's not here for the rebellion. He doesn't want to know why they need to go to Alderaan or whatever. He just is there to help himself. And then you have that same thing when we meet Lando Calrissian, you know, as as the trilogy goes on. Those are the opportunists and they really go sort of both ways. People who are trying to like, um, yeah, profit off of this conflict in the universe. And I think the new trilogy would have done well to make a better distinction where there are still smugglers. There are still people like Han or like people who, um, you know, Finn is potentially trying to be someone who is an opportunist who's just out to navigate it for himself. He isn't interested in the causes. But unfortunately, as we're talking about, Finn gets aligned so early with Poe and with the Rebellion can we talk about Finn and Poe? Well, real quick, they did. They, <laughs> yes and yes. They did do that with DJ in Last Jedi. They did. They did. But 
who cares? You know, it's just like, I did <laughs> right. not. Yeah. yeah. Right. Also, I, everyone you, is, you yeah. can't just drop Benicio del Toro in the middle of your Star Wars right. movie. And why does he have a stutter? Like, I don't want to listen <laughs> to it. I don't want it. Also, his initials stand for don't join. How is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a lot. I mean, general hugs. There's a lot of like yeah, weird. Yeah. Well, I, it sounds like you moments, just said the word hugs. Oh, he did. No, no, yep. no, that's what he's saying in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the opening Holding scene. for general hugs. Oh, it's like, oh, it's like, said it's a that. pun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because that whole that. scene was pretty weird where it's right. like, yeah. I think because uh, the opening sequence overall is fantastic. Otherwise, cool. I think it's the best. So cool. Like space battle. Since yeah. Return of the Jedi. Right. And and it's, it's genuinely emotional and mm-hmm. intense. Rose's sister, the way she goes out. Yeah. Of yeah. Oh, it's so <laughs> badass. I so love good. her. Yeah. yeah. But like, we don't need this jokey, like, you know, Verizon advertisement of like, uh, can you, can you hear me now? You know, like, yeah, we don't, right. That's like, another thing that felt very terrestrial. Ryan, like yeah. this is like a oh, like a misconnection. A call. Yeah, it's right. like it's like my I have low bars on my cell yeah. phone. Yeah. yeah or Yoda definitely. saying like page turners. They were not like or like right. even like words like boyfriend. Like there are certain just yeah. words that just make me feel like ah, I don't feel like I'm in Star Wars world. Um, real quick before we jump into Finn and Poe, just because <laughs> thanks for holding on to who, that. Oh, who I also want to be boyfriends, but they're not going to be unfortunately. <laughs> um, but we uh, all want that. Yeah. But Michael, what you said. Um, about sort of like the there's like a tone issue in last jedi and i think definitely like forget about the existence of force awakens forget about the existence of any star wars like just in this one movie you have like a bunch of people die and then 3po makes a joke and then like something dark happens and then a cg porg like flies up against the windshield and that kind of thing and i think like Force Awakens does a really good job of feeling like one movie the whole way through. Yeah. I think episode one even does a pretty good job of feeling like one movie. It's a it's not the movie we wanted, right. but like but it, it is feels, cohesive. It feels it's, pretty cohesive. It's a very dry <laughs> right. movie. But Last Jedi feels like it's bouncing all over the place in terms of tone and uh I someone, think that's fair. Yeah. Someone yeah. made a um I think it was the the closer look. Um uh, made a YouTube video about the use of bathos, which is the sort of building up to something and then pulling the rug out under from it, mm. which happens in the opening of the movie, uh, basically. When, with the lightsaber. With yeah. the lightsaber. JJ like gives us this big moment that we wait two years to see how it's going to resolve. And then he throws it, which feels like a bit of a nephew to the audience. It definitely does. <laughs> Even if it's totally in line with who you're making Luke to be in this movie. Like, I totally get that. But it feels a little bit like we've been waiting for this thing and you're not going to give us any you're going to give us the opposite of what we're thing we're waiting for um but yeah it just feels like the movie you know trisha i know i've you've used this word and i've echoed it multiple <laughs> times in the podcast which is tone confused sure. uh which is just anytime yeah. you see a movie where you feel like this five minutes of the movie does not feel like it belongs in the same movie as this other five minutes and last jedi i think for me that's the worst definitely problem well that's yeah. why canto bite is so right jarring. Jarring, yeah. it's just it feels utterly different and i do want to just quickly take a moment again to i don't feel like ryan johnson needs defending per se but they were shooting this weeks after the force awakens came out he had to write that like mm-hmm. he God had to bless. be making this movie yeah. before he even knew what the previous movie was right so that's and that's not his fault right yeah no knives out one of my favorite movies of the year so good. yeah ryan johnson is amazing and talented and so i give him a lot of slack uh it's just unfortunate that I, th- yeah, I think it's, these things happened. <laughs> when your food comes out cold, you, bl- you blame your waiter because right, sure. that's right. the only person you can see, you know? And it's like... Fry, yes. <laughs> nice. yeah. and, it, and it does... I think that there are maybe things Ryan Johnson is 
responsible for that that he in and my, there's in my plenty should, he's not exactly and there's plenty that like he was doing the best with what he could do and that kind of thing so it's like when i when i talk about my frustrations with this movie it's not about what this one person did it's about what this <laughs> committee of people <laughs> chose to do and said yes we like that choice keep that in the movie you know well, and as like a director as far as just visual style and just the way space scenes are shot and the way shots are framed as a director actually i think i prefer him to jj abrams jj uh, has this kind of fun tilt to whirl you know like let's kind of get kind of dutch angly here and swivel mm. around things and i i prefer ryan johnson's more classic you know framing and way he shoots a lot of the more like the last Jedi dramatic is scenes beautiful. It's a, yeah. yeah his use of color yeah. I, I really like his visual style in this movie it's maybe the prettiest Yes, movie in I mean, the Skywalker the saga. Salt planet, I'm gonna say it. Yep. The salt planet is like art. You know, Seriously, the, the, yeah, it's the so white, cool. Red, yeah, it's yeah, beautiful. it's absolutely beautiful. Just really quickly, uh, watching Force Awakens again, Finn and Poe are so adorable together yeah. <laughs> when they steal the Tie Fighter and they're just like yes, they cheering each other on. And it, I haven't seen like as sweet a like bromance in a blockbuster yeah. in a long time. And since Sam and Frodo, it's, it's, very, it's, it's kind of Sam and Frodo. Yeah. Definitely. And it's like, why didn't we just get more of that in Last Jedi? Why yeah. do we gotta split them up? Like, let's 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 carry on this like triad of characters and bring them closer together. I don't understand that choice either. Like, why break them all up? Leave a couple of them together and develop their relationship further. Well, and that's the whole thing is that when you're trying to develop character, quote unquote, you have a few options, and one of them is to show a character operating in his or her own life. And the choices they make. So like show that, you know, show us them by themselves, essentially, which is what they did with Ray. But with with Finn and Poe, you had a real opportunity to show us who they are by juxtaposing them together and mm-hmm. like, you know, injecting them into scenes with conflicts where they could easily banter off each other. And I thought that the um The Force Awakens did that really well. Where sure, we're never gonna know much of Finn's backstory. At least we haven't yet. We don't need it as long as we can get a handle on who he is in contrast with other people, right? So, like, he gets thrown into the rebellion. He's actually not a part of it. But then when you sit him in a cockpit right next to Poe, like, we get it. And so I just wish that I absolutely agree with you. It's like, it's a missed also, opportunity with char- right. characters. Like- yeah. And I also feel like it's so amazing in Force Awakens when they reunite. I feel like I have it's beautiful. like there's, Everyone, there's, there's no there's like no romance in these new movies that has two people running <gasps> towards each other with as much like pure joy and they've known each they... other for 10 minutes exactly hold on hold on hold on yeah. uh Poe and BB-8 oh, that's true, true. that's true, true. true. Yeah. yeah I love it like, like scratches, scratches yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah it's like he can't feel that but I love it anyway <laughs> he's a machine it's fun <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Really quickly, I just want to say a thing that bothers me constantly, and I just have to say it out loud. I hate when, during visual effects shots, there's 
weird camera moves that otherwise would not be part of the visual language of a movie. And J.J. Abrams does this a ton, but even Ryan Johnson is guilty of this. But so like when Starkiller base explodes, there's that wide shot of like the camera's kind of not framed properly on the base and then it explodes and the camera turns suddenly. It's like, oh, the cameraman just, he wasn't ready for it. He just caught it. (laughs) Or like you zoom in suddenly because like zooms are things that cameras do. So this isn't a visual effects shot audience. It's like, and it's it's a trick that, you know, I've done visual effects. You add in camera shake because subconsciously that makes people believe that it's real. But it's Star Wars. Like you have, it's the biggest budget thing ever. You I, don't need to add. I know you didn't actually go into space and shoot <laughs> right. a planet. Quickly that, plan, yeah. pan over to Al- the... Although, like, Firefly did that, and it was pretty cool. It would just be, like, zooms of, of spaceships. And uh, Firefly yeah. had to do that for budgetary reasons. Right. They couldn't then, make their effects then, look good, so they then, compensated for doing these weird camera moves. But then George Lucas stole it for episode three of the opening, and now The Outer Worlds, the video game, stole it because it's just Firefly, the video game. Mm. <laughs> but I don't know. I like it sometimes. But I didn't like I Firefly, and I think that was part of the... Re- There's just... I don't know. All right. But the thing that happens in The Last Jedi is during the freaking prequel sequence when they're riding the CG animals out of Cantobite. Your favorite? They run past the camera and like the foot the clothes like knock the camera over and it's like you you would never leave this in the final cut of the movie if it wasn't a visual effect thing to try to trick us into making it like Like don't insult me with this. (laughs) I think I actually whenever I watch that sequence like my mind just turns off. Like, yeah, I, like, I, I kind definitely. of, I like, I have a low key blackout, <laughs> and so I don't actually recall any shots, individual shots from that sequence. It's just all a blur. And that's the most heavily edited down of the sequence. Like, there's a Without bunch doubt. of stuff on the editing room floor from that sequence. <sighs> mm. It just makes me feel tired. Why yeah. did you do that? <laughs> Why? I feel like Last Jedi and Rogue One, like. After I watched the movie, I felt like I hadn't just watched the movie because there was too much that my brain didn't like store, <laughs> like <laughs> didn't quite comprehend because I had those kind of blackout moments where I'm like, I'm overwhelmed and I don't know. Okay, now I'm back in the, yeah. Well, the interesting thing to me was to read about how how many of The Last Jedi's like effects were actually practical. And so there are fewer CGI like moments in that movie than there really need to be because there actually are quite a lot of practical effects in The Last Jedi. They did do a lot of stuff with like models and and stunts and all of these kinds of things that they could have done CGI. And I think going back to your point, it highlights when they they almost give themselves away more when they're like trying to act like their CG effects aren't instead of when they actually do have practical effects and they could like more emphasize that. Which is frustrating. Well, and there's also this debate about practical versus CGI, which I think is often largely missing the point. Like, both things look fake. It's how you use the fake exactly. to tell your story. And there were there are a lot of practical things in The Last Jedi, like you were saying. And there were going to be more, but then it ended up being, well, they had to replace it with CGI because practical things just couldn't do what they needed it to do. And even when... Alex, you and I went and saw the Knives Out screening with the Q&A with Ryan Johnson. That was his, Knives Out was the first movie he shot digitally, and he's been a hardcore film-only person he for is. forever. Yep. Uh, and he was saying that his DP finally convinced him to just shoot it digitally, and you can't tell. You're watching the movie, it looks completely like it's shot on film. Because of the color grading and yeah, Right, yeah. because lenses. when you shoot it on, with digital, you have options when you shoot it. With film, it looks the way it looks. And so I think there's this 
a tangent and just kind of like a little pet peeve of mine, but like there's a resistance to CGI and digital technology and it's not the technology itself. It's how you use it to tell your story that yeah. matters. I think two things that just popped to mind while you were saying that were two faces makeup in uh, dark Knight makeup slash CG. And uh -huh. when I see his face, I'm, it's terrifying, first of all, but yes. I can't tell where it's makeup and where it's CG. I'm like, it's not all makeup because I can see his teeth, <laughs> but like, <laughs> right. it's definitely some combo. And then maybe let's not spoil Mandalorian at all, but there is a thing on the Mandalorian, which if you are on social media, you've seen. <laughs> um, which is we can talk about it. Yeah, it's on, so, if you're on Twitter, right? Yeah, it's 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 Baby Yoda who is <laughs> not best. who is not Baby Yoda, but right. I kind of hate that name because it's so misleading. But there's but, no other name for it. I'm not gonna yeah. call I'm not gonna call that adorable little man the asset. Um, <laughs> but the he's he's practical when they can and then CG when they can't. And like, I think they do a really good job. Yes. Um, again, it's, you know, fa fascinating to like watch with a digital artist who like can't always tell the difference. And yeah. I just yeah, think, yeah. it's cool. Yeah. Before we leave Last Jedi, I also want to just say that opening night in the theater when Luke Skywalker shows up at the end in that finale sequence, mm. it is so cool. It's such a gratifying thing. I, I, I fully was with it and I fully enjoyed his death sequence. I yeah. thought it, I think a lot of people complained about it. I think, yeah, I don't know. Well, everybody, everybody hated everything about this movie online, but I just, I felt so not sad. Everybody just a very vocal, right? I, I felt very not satisfied. Well educated minority. I felt yeah. very satisfied with Luke's end. I, I agree, except there was one issue I had and I forgot about this. First of all, I thought the filmmaking of how, like you see Kylo Ren's foot move and the salt moves. Yes, And then yes. Luke's foot moves and the salt doesn't move. But your brain is not, your brain it's has like stored that information. Yeah. But it, your brain has stored that information, but it hasn't processed that information. And then later when you realize he's a forest ghost, like you rem your brain like goes back and remembers the thing that you saw but hadn't yet processed. And I thought that was genius. It was. And I love the idea of him being a forest ghost until five minutes later when he died anyway. Mm -hmm. which I'm just like, well, if you're going to kill off your character, then why not have him show up? Like to have him be a force ghost to let them get away. And then he's like, I did it. Great. But then if you're going to kill off your character, then why not have your character be there? Yeah, the You flesh? introduce this cool new extension of the force mm -hmm. where he can like project himself into a new place. And I agree with you about those shots. I was really noticing them when mm -hmm. I watched it this time around. I was like, it's so cool. But then if he does die it's sort of like that technology dies with him or that extension of the but force it just it doesn't matter it's like why couldn't sure. he have just well, shown up and then people argue like, he forced you know he forced his last last life away because it was so force no, powered i, I like <laughs> right, no, that no, as no, a no. theory but because you're doing it by a means that we've never seen before it kind of doesn't but people have I, also that just there's also like there's like physical dice he brings from the Millennium Falcon that Yikes. like stick around Ooh, after his death right. for Kylo Ren to pick up that then dissolve later. That doesn't make sense. Right, because right. Ray gives him the dice yeah. like on the <laughs> island and then he force ghosts to them. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but it's funny because people will argue and say, "Oh, he couldn't have gotten there in time, or he wouldn't have survived the all the blasts." And I'm like, "No, no, no." I'm talking about before the movie exists. If you're yeah, going to make yeah, yeah. that choice as a writer, then why right. not? You know, sure. Well, and, and I feel like maybe that's kind of the last thought I have personally about the Last Jedi is it it goes to such interesting places thematically, where 
Kylo Ren's whole thing about let the past die, like let the Republic die, let the Empire die. It is like I was. It it got me to the place that you want your audience to be at, where you're you're like maybe he has a point, maybe they should let it die. I'm like, what would Kylo and Ray teaming up look like? That would be a really fascinating place to pick up in the next like. Let's well, it, do it. I feel like it's transcending so light and dark side, which right. was really exactly. exciting. It was yes. like, oh, what if there's a new thing? Right. And I don't trust that they're going to do that. Well, like X Men 2, X Men United. <laughs> exactly. Right, guys? Right, guys? <laughs> yeah. But then that's why it was, again, kind of frustrating in the similar way that you were talking about, Brian, where you do this cool thing, but then you kind of undercut it. it. Like, it got me to this point of like, Rain Kylo. Let's cut to black. I, I don't want to know what happens next. But yeah. what happens next is that Kylo starts talking evil and she's saying you're evil. And then they're kind of just back to where they were. And it's still, I think it's a cool way to develop the relationship between our protagonist and antagonist. Like that rivalry has so much more weight to it now, which I think Agreed. is great. But I feel like it could have, it, like it, it got so far, it felt almost like walking it back to arrive at that place like right. it's almost yeah. too successful why didn't it evolve to a new thing yeah. yeah well and the whole experience of rewatching uh the force awakens and the last jedi reminded me of what we were talking about with the original trilogy like how bold was it in the original trilogy not to pay off everything right away like luke and vader don't face off in the first movie they face off in the second movie and luke gets his ass kicked they don't really face off as equals until the third movie. And I'm not just talking about like climactic lightsaber battles, which I kind of am, but mostly just the like building the actual stakes. And so why do, did we have to have Ray and Kylo meet and really face off? I love the throne room, like where they turn and they like fight the, what are they called? The bodyguards? What are those guys called? The yeah, red ones. The cool red guard people. Don't you know, Brian? No. You're fired. <laughs> he doesn't buy the toys for the new movies. Uh, yeah, how are we supposed to know? Yeah, I knew it for Return of the Jedi. Uncle but. Brian won't know this. <laughs> um, but yeah, just I, I like that throne room scene. But again, it, it just goes like, where is the escalation going to go from here? What is being held back? What are we not getting to see yet in terms of characters facing off, really dueling with all of their powers and all of that stuff? Again, what you were saying, switching them back onto opposite sides of like light and dark side of the force does potentially make for an interesting climax. But because you had them meet in the middle of The Last Jedi, you had to then separate them again, which feels a little bit cheap. It feels like you dialed back something like you pushed it to a climax and then you dialed it back from the climax instead of saving it until potentially the third entry in the franchise. It feels like you had more lightsabers at the beginning of the fight and you went down (laughs) to less lightsabers. There are less functional lightsabers by the end of that fight. They do. It's true. Right. And yeah. Fewer. (laughs) (laughs) So returning really quickly to Rey in The Last Jedi a lot of my frustration with her has to do with a lack of development that happened in the force awakens, honestly. So I know that you don't want to hear the words Mary Sue anymore, but those have been hurled at Ray over the course of this entire, you know, couple, two movies. And I think that we don't like her to be too powerful. The fact that she did face off against Kylo Ren at the end of the force awakens and emerged 
unscathed even though he's very wounded all of these other things that they did to like bring him down to her level but still when she engages him with the force in the interrogation scene that's i think where people started to be like uh and as i mentioned before if you had built her up with the force at the very beginning of the force awakens that wouldn't grade us on us so much but then in the last jedi at the end of the force awakens kylo ren says to her you need a teacher and that to me is like could be this like key to unlocking who Rey is. Like what if she had been waiting for a teacher this whole time? And so in The Last Jedi, her disappointment in Luke as a teacher could have fed into her turning towards Kylo. Where like he actually says to her, you need a teacher. What if she had like been like, oh, I do. Luke is failing me as a teacher. I could go to Kylo Ray. He's already offered to teach. Wait, who's me. Kylo Ren? Who's Kylo Ray? Nah. Raylo, their child. Kylo Ren. Thank you. <laughs> Raylo is what the, is is that what they call the couple yeah. that people are shipping? It's Raylo. You know, I'm just saying, like, what if that desire had channeled that direction a little bit more clearly and textually? I just think it would have really helped her character in this movie. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, we'll we'll see where this all goes in Episode Nine. JJ once again had quite a job challenge right yeah. yikes yeah. on his behalf yes yeah. <laughs> he had to reopen a can of worms now he has to close like, he was like i thought i had escaped from yeah. this i know yeah. it's almost like it's harder now than when he began right. exactly. somehow yeah. yeah um well so in the meantime they've also made these other two star wars movies a rogue one a star wars story and solo a star wars story rogue one i've talked about a little bit in uh the video the force awakens versus Rogue One. But Solo, I haven't talked about at all. And I, I yeah. actually really want to talk yes. about it. Um, but Rogue One came out first. And so to preface the experience of going into Rogue One, I feel like that was a new kind of hype that happened because, you know, The Force Awakens came out. I loved it. And then there was this other, they're going to make other kinds of Star Wars movies. Like, what does that mean? What could that possibly look like? And then you kind of hear the premise of it. If It's like, it's the Rogue Squadron. It's them stealing the plans for the Death Star. And mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that sounds like freaking cool. And then the teaser comes out and it's maybe the best teaser ever made. Agree, I don't know. Agree, it's agree. just like the coolest thing ever. And so suddenly I was like, oh, this might be amazing. And so much of it is amazing. Agree. Like, I, there's a laundry list of things that Rogue One does perfectly basically i i think it's the first time you've seen the world of the original star wars films recreated like authentically yeah. it makes and, me and, so giddy seeing yeah. all the costuming yes. and like all the production design from the original Rogue one looks and feels excellent yes yes and, and the visual effects look amazing mm-hmm. and kind of the way we're complaining about the way sometimes visual effects are quote-unquote shot in this like oh it's a real camera like spinning around there's very there's an elegance to the way yes. the visual effects are presented in Rogue One that I really appreciate. Yes. I think I think I was more excited for Rogue One than Force Awakens because I was just excited for something that wasn't the same story yeah. over again. Mm-hmm. And I liked uh, Gareth Edwards' um, film Monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I thought that was a really cool film. And I thought his Godzilla was fine for what it was. And I was like, okay, cool. And I think his directing pays off in rogue one like it feels like what i like about what he does um i just found this last time watching it that i same as in the theater i'm just like i don't really care about these characters or not following this plot or like engaged with it or yeah 
I feel like it has for me the same problem that the prequels have in some ways, where on paper, it's amazing. Right. And so much more of the execution of it is also amazing than in the prequels. But ultimately, it fell flat for me for a myriad of screenwriting reasons. And honestly, while I we mentioned this right before we started podcasting, but I do think that your Rogue One versus uh, Force Awakens is a little oversimplifying. Ray's journey, I do think it's a pretty accurate analysis of Jin's journey, where we could be so much more invested in it. They don't do enough work at the outset to really like help us understand her as an adult, right? They introduce her as a child. They don't get us on board with her as an adult. She's in chains. Why? Like she needs to be rescued. They list off her crimes. They don't really provide us any context with those crimes. It's just this thing where it's like, okay, we love rebels and we love sort of ne'er-do-wells and people who mm-hmm. exist outside the law. Again, this third group of people that we talked about earlier, right? There's like noble people, evil people, and then there's opportunists. It reminds mm-hmm. me of uh, Jack Sparrow when they're reading off his Exactly. Class. And like they read one of me, he goes, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Trailer Jyn Erso was like poised to be one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Exactly. What? So like, is, exactly. That, is that all the rewrites? Like, because the trailers, there's a reason why we thought the trailers were so amazing half of the shots are not in the movie mm-hmm. right. even performance things are not in the movie yeah. like character choices are not in the movie it's such a fascinating like i feel like i become indiana jones i want to go i want to learn the history of what yes, happened with this artifact with that was One, this yeah. teaser because like you said there there are shots in the movie and I, in the teaser that aren't in the movie and they range from things that logically were rewritten because they weren't working in the story there's lines that are kind of inexplicably cut that seem like they're just literally changing the characters there were shots that they shot purposefully knowing it wasn't gonna be in the movie like they were hanging out on set one day and were like oh this looks cool like well, I think it's the, it's, the, it's the final shot Felicity Jones. The, Felicity Jones, the final right. shot of the trailer where she stands like wearing imperial gear right with like and the, the lights, lights come turning on. on yeah no exactly that was just like not not meant to be in the movie at yeah. all no, at I any know. point and then there's even the shot where she's like going on the the ramp towards the, the ramp tie fighter and the tie fighter comes up i'm like 99% sure they just added a tie fighter to that shot cuz she doesn't react to it at no point in the movie is she reacting to like i think they just wanted to make a cool teaser mm-hmm. the process they got of our money. watching rogue one Reminds me a little bit of Casablanca. Um, go with me here. <laughs> yeah. Well, well. first of all, Rogue One very much is a war movie in the sense that it's about like occupied areas under like an oppressive regime that are then like harvesting or like taking the people, the engineers and the scientists and the artists or whoever from the place they are occupying and, and using them for their own benefit. So it feels almost like Casablanca or like a Vietnam War movie potentially something like that where there's this yeah framework it reminds me of Casablanca in the sense that Casablanca was being rewritten and developed as it was going along and we know that about Rogue Rogue One the same thing happened they were like we need rewrites we need to like rehash these and so they were like adjusting character motivations as they went along and you can feel it you can can really feel feel it. it it doesn't feel cohesive but the thing is like the Casablanca magic basically never happens. And so we hold up a movie like Casablanca that was essentially being made up as it was created and you know written as it was being shot. 
as some exemplar of whatever. Rogue One is a real world version of that. And it doesn't. There are these things that do feel disjointed and weren't able to be tied together by themes, even though I think they really did try in Rogue One. Like you were saying about theme, I feel like watching Rogue One was the first time I felt Disney sort of trying to yes. organize their Star Wars thoughts. Yeah. Around the theme <laughs> of hope. Like rebellions yeah. are built on hope. Hope. It's yeah. lots of hope. Here's Leia then. What'd you say? Hope. Like with these new movies, their theme is going to be hope. That's what we've done. I'm, I'm going to go face good. these stormtroopers. Do you have a gun? No, but I have hope. <laughs> well, because I think that's another complaint I have about Last Jedi that I, it's where I feel the Disney influence yeah. is the like overstating of theme like in the text, yes. which is not present in the original Star Wars trilogy. You know, there are themes and there are, there's Shakespearean dialogue but you don't have this almost beating over the head yeah. of the theme of this movie is, is this. this thing failure. I, it doesn't make sense Hope. to even talk about it right now, but we're going to talk about the theme. Like this is the theme guys. And it does feel like that is the Marvel Disneyfication thing happening here of like, this movie is about this. Everybody make sure you know that. And why don't just, don't, just put it in the movie because of what happens. <laughs> like, <laughs> But if you're going to Disneyfy something and you're going to like reduce it to the very basic story terms in an almost cartoonish way, then at least give your heroine a this is what I want song. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the reason we don't the reason people accuse Ray of being a Mary Sue is because she don't doesn't have a stated this is what I want song. If we knew what she wanted, we would be on board with it all the way. Like, And, and I think that's my problem with with Rogue One is I just feel like I don't I'm not following the characters I'm not yeah. really caring about them I love Diego Luna I think he's an adorable uh, the best. adorable human being and a good actor yeah but I think it's weird that Disney Plus is making a show based on like maybe the most boring Star Wars character of all time Man. like it's just wait they're making a show based off his character in Rogue One mm -hmm. Cassian Cassian oh. Andor you know what? I'm okay with that I'm okay I, I'm guessing the show that. is going to be better than right because if Rogue they have to write a whole show about this character right. they gotta make him exactly well something. and in some ways I feel like he was almost the most interesting character like he yeah, was yeah but that's not saying much like, well, exactly <laughs> maybe k2so but well and at the time i was also when i was researching the video i just recently rewatched saving private ryan and i watched that again while writing it and almost had a whole section comparing this is what saving private ryan does so well that rogue one could have used and i think Ooh. it's Saving Private Ryan is so much about the characters and the family that is created by these people going through this war. Like their task is like MacGuffin-y, right? They need to get to the person and save him. Blah, That's blah. very clear. And so, but the journey there is just so compelling so that when people start dying in Saving Private Ryan, it's heart wrenching. You feel awful. And Trisha, we were talking about this before recording of like going into Rogue One, I was like, I wonder if Disney's brave enough to kill all these people at the end. That'd right. be so cool. The if only they thing did. I wanted from Rogue One, right. everyone right. to die. And they do. I they was do. like, okay, yeah. that's awesome. I wish I cared at all about any of these yeah. people right. like, when they die. Right. Well, I think that's one thing that bothers me. I think the reason so many people like Revenge of the Sith, and I think those same people like Rogue One, is because they're they're just like, it's dark. 
And yeah. it's like, cool. Like I'm, I'm with you. Like they killed I like, the younglings. Right. Exactly. Like I like things. Same. I, yeah. I tend to like things that are dark and I appreciate them, but like, that's not an, I could write like Obi-Wan murders Hitler on a napkin <laughs> and like hand that napkin to you. That doesn't mean that napkin's a good movie. It means it's a, an idea, you know? Um, <laughs> Is that a dark movie? That seems like he like saves the day. Uh, well, it's dark. Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, but, I, but but what I mean is like like my friend who like loves Star Wars, uh, who I mentioned on the on the prequel podcast, like he got his Obi Wan versus Anakin fight, and for him, the first time he saw Episode Three, that meant the world to him. The fact that this thing he'd wanted to see for so long happened, that like it blinded him for the rest of the movie. He he called me on my like answering machine because you know years um and he was like it was awesome you know and then he like slammed down the phone and that was all he said and then now if you talk to him about that movie he'll tell you all the problems with it but because it delivered and it was dark and it was like the thing that i wanted to happen happened it like put blinders on for just how was it as a film like what was the quality of it and i think that i I'm sort of like baffled that so many people think Rogue One is like their favorite Star Wars movie and they think Solo is terrible because I'm just like, like to me as as a film, I feel like Rogue One sort of is like a little all over the place and I'm never quite following the plot and it like kind of wanders and Solo is like for what it is just like a solid story that kind of doesn't waver too much from from its its tone and its story. and But it sucks. Oh, I don't, I don't like so. I don't like. We're going right. into solo. Let's talk, solo. Let's, go into solo. Let's talk about solo. We're gonna go to war over solo. Oh, Yikes. because so and to set up my feelings about going into solo, I after Rogue One and then after Last Jedi, I was very tired. And then they were like, "We're gonna make a young Han Solo movie," and I was like, "Screw you, Disney! I don't want you to touch. Like, stop touching my favorite things. Like, we don't need to make Star Wars movies." all about the original characters like make something new do something new i don't want to know about solo's like backstory like that's offensive and i find it frustrating and i was so not here for solo at all but i saw it because you have to i'll agree with you by the way like before i defend solo i'll agree with you that i was like i don't want uh i don't want any harrison ford character to not be harrison ford in anything right. ever basically like i thought it was just what's the- confusing about that huh I, I like, couldn't agree with you more, and yeah. I still feel that way. Okay, okay, well, and, and, fair. and also there was so much, you know, press about the problems with the movie of course, and you know, different right. directors. It just seemed like Lord what Miller, a, bad what a di- what a disaster. Yeah, like, right, exactly. Like this is probably the dumbest idea that any human has had. Let's make a young Han Solo movie, <laughs> right? That's harsh. Hyperbole, but sure. I don't, that's how I felt going into it, and I had so much fun watching Solo. And at first, I chalked it up to low expectations because I was just like, this is not going to be good. I'm going to watch this thing and it's going to be what it is. And I, it was very fun. It was delightful. I found myself into the movie at moments. It took a while because I was like... At moments. <laughs> the first, yeah, where it's like you're watching this person and the movie's saying this person is Han Solo. And you're like, well, okay, I guess so. But by the end, I was like, this is fun. I don't know if I think this is Han Solo, but this is fun. Yeah, you have to divorce yourself from it being Han Solo for sure. Well, and so I rewatched it last night and I loved it even more. Like it's now in competition for my favorite of the new like movies. I, I feel like if we can get out into this, but I feel like it has almost like a near perfect blend of taking place in the original world of Star Wars feeling 
like that used future, the grittiness that you associate with the original films, but also the fun adventure like elements. Like I, I feel like it has the right balance and there are moments that are very off-putting, but they are moments. And for the most part, it's absolutely delightful. Partially, I think it helped that I've seen Fleabag now and I, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. and yeah. you realize... Because I think the first time I was like, oh, she did the voice for this like droid. And watching it again, I was like, oh, no, she's the droid. Like, she's performing. Those are her manners. Right. And these are yeah, probably her course. lines yeah. and stuff, right. too. Like, there were lines where my girlfriend and I were like, I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge wrote that line. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm going to verbally hug you on this before Trisha separates us. Sure. Um, which is like, yeah, I felt the same way. I saw it in the theater and I thought, yeah, I don't care what it is. Um, it's just a fun little ride. And I was... You know, Solo has to explain every single line about Han Solo and Chewbacca right. ever in the so original trilogy. frustrating. Right. Like, I don't care how, like, Chewie got his nickname or whatever. Sorry, right. I, um, I don't have anybody. Oh, so you're alone? Mm, solo. Solo, yeah. Um, Yikes. No, I, yeah. And that stuff bothered me the first time. But I was like, ah, it's a fun movie. I didn't mind it. And then just, yeah, I also watched it last night. And it just just had so much fun and I was like yeah Donald Glover as Lando like Phoebe Waller-Bridge and just like a good experience that I just enjoyed having it's just like a fun ride and it's like what I, I mentioned this in the last episode of Rogue One just doesn't feel like a fun time to me even if I appreciate it and I like looking at it and whatever I'm just like I don't have fun and solo just every few minutes i just found myself kind of like laughing and being right. like this is cool I and i like this scene out loud and, yeah by myself yeah yeah um trisha tell us why we're wrong um i would love to <laughs> um i just i don't know i i was not able to have fun during solo yeah i did not the explanations and the, how on the nose and very slapstick they were where it's like we're gonna explain every little thing that's remotely even sideways mentioned in the original trilogy about Han Solo I don't want that movie like I don't want a movie about the Kessel Run I never have and it's not the actor's fault they did a great job like Donald Glover's great everybody's great I just didn't by the origin of these characters. And I think it is that whole thing where the whole thing about Han Solo is his like mystique. He's got a past and you don't know it, right? Like you don't want to know it. Right. Um, That's my problem with prequels in general. It's yeah. like, I don't yeah. need and, the explanation. Definitely yeah. so. And I think there is a, a degree to which like with somebody like Harry Potter where, okay, fine. We know about he was in Godric's Hollow and then he was adopted by his and uncle and whatever that's the hero character the side characters people like ron weasley we know a little bit about him or or whatever you know han or whoever your third sort of character is samwise gamgee we don't need his whole 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 backstory right especially like the more roguish he is somebody like the artful dodger actually comes to mind right in a dickensian sense yeah oliver okay great that ninja <laughs> I'm just it's, saying it's books, when you Michael. have oh, books. you yes you have the central hero character and you do want to know everything about his story but the side character who's influencing him especially the more he outside of the ideology he is this roguish character so like the artful dodger is like a pretty good marker for that you don't want to know his character because what all you really need to know about him is he's there to be a foil on the main character. And so to flesh him out as a central character, 
is to sort of demystify in an unpleasant way. And that overall was my feeling of Solo, especially with just, it it tries to be a Western and like uh, so many Westerns, it's sort of convoluted and like, here's the loot. We're going to do this train robbery. (laughs) And then we're like, whatever, you know, it, it gets bogged down in the plot in a way that again, doesn't do anything to clarify the character and isn't pleasant to watch. But money. Well, I would say... I hear you. I would say that the first 40 minutes are 100% that. The first 40 minutes are still hard for me to get through because it is like, oh, that your nickname is Solo. And like, here's this blaster that when, you'll use when forever. They, when they named him Solo, right. that yeah, really upset me. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And the when worst. they play, he's like watching the recruitment video and on the recruitment, they're playing the Imperial March. That ben really bothered me. Right. Yeah. The, putting Star like, Wars mo- music in the world. Right. No. Yeah, I feel like that's, that. yeah, that's And the fact that you were able to engage with it after that is the amazing part to me because I was not. I was... Well, turned off it was amazing to me too (laughs) but i think that's i think the movie deserves credit for that because after that moment after you've gone through that it is just a fun star wars story like i think it is what star wars stories can be and should be it's like i feel like it's kind of ironic that rogue one did like well and everyone loved it and everyone no one saw solo because i think solo is a better movie in so many ways i think disagree the character of han everyone disagrees but i agree right (laughs) yeah which which honestly blows my mind because watching it it's like it's it's not even close like like if literally disagree trisha the world is on your side all of our listeners agree with you so let us thank you so much what would just let me yell the word disagree so my question for you is do you is do you feel like it's the what the film is doing to Star Wars that is bad or the that the film itself is bad? And are you able to watch it separating that? Right. Like I have to I have to like not think that the character I'm watching is Harrison Ford's character from the original trilogy. And then I think it's a lot of fun. Right. And then by the end, I do feel like it is. Like I feel like his relationship with Lando, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I see how that connects. Right. And like there's enough there that by the end I I feel like they've earned the what they were trying to do. I don't think the movie should exist. So <laughs> that's where I land on that's, all of that's this. That's probably I'm not, not going to be a bridgeable divide. It's not a bridgeable <laughs> yeah. divide. It's, yeah. That's the whole thing is we do not want a movie. Like we, we the Trishas of the world. <laughs> I was going to say humanity, but sure. <laughs> well, there's some humans here who think it's good. Uh, no, but saying, Mo- Michael and I didn't want it to exist either. Right. No, <laughs> that's, that's true. That's what I mean. We actually Nobody do agree it. about it. Yeah. Yeah. No one yeah. wanted Solo, actually, because, again, we don't want to demystify a character who was never meant to be a fully fleshed character and hero in the first place. Potentially, you could have made a movie that ignored and like eschewed answering some of those obvious questions and went for deeper, more interesting questions or more even like if you'd made even a shallower movie in a way, like if you just made it like you didn't try to explain Han at all, but you just made like further adventures of Han and didn't try to explain him, didn't try to explain Chewbacca and just did like a thing that was over there. be a movie I could get on board with where you aren't diving too deeply into where the character comes from because I don't think we need that with Han that isn't sort of what we want from Han in the relationship and this goes back to what you're asking in the relationship with the rest of the Star Wars universe so 
if you're going to make a completely separate movie about a completely separate smuggler, which I guess is sort of what I'm advocating here, then yeah, I'm on board for it all day. That's, I think, the content we all want. We want the Star Wars universe to expand to include all kinds of characters and things like mm -hmm. that. That's, I think, almost what we have with The Mandalorian. Yeah. But I don't want that from Han Solo because Han Solo only exists in a very specific context. And I don't think he should outside of that. I feel like Solo is the opposite of what we've been talking about with the prequels in Rogue One, where we said like they were really good ideas on paper that then didn't pan out. And I feel like Solo... Bad idea on paper. Right, right. Regardless of how we feel about the actual movie, like terrible idea on paper. Like yeah. why bother making this, you know? Uh, and then we have different opinions of how it actually turned out. But like... Sure. Yeah, like just nobody wanted it. It's nobody like surprising it. that it yeah. was... So You've I, been quiet about I, it. Yeah, Alex. Well, I didn't have time to rewatch it this week. So I just have my original theater memory, mm -hmm. which is very little. I just, I remember it was fun and I watched it and I mostly remember <gasps> that Darth Maul was at the end. Was yeah. it right? Was it bouncy? <laughs> I don't remember. It's it, not that bouncy. I don't remember it being egregiously bouncy. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is the I, thing. You should rewatch it. Like I should rewatch it. I, I feel like it might be the gold standard near for what a Star really? Wars story should be. Okay. It definitely is not. I no. just I, I don't remember much. I remember at the end there's actually like, you know, rebel women in the tribal desert who were right. the real they heroes. They are cool and yeah. Kira is not. Well, okay. Well, uh, she's interesting. I don't know. So here's what I'll say. Why I, is Darth Maul in it is all I want to know. Right. Why is he still alive? Why is he still the body? Why Again, is he it's one it? of those things that's explained in books and shows. And I don't blah, want blah, it. Blah. Yeah, I don't right. want it. No. Absolutely. So I feel like a lot of the third act, eh, a lot of the first act. Uh, <laughs> but it's the gold standard. <laughs> but, but no, the meat of the story, when I'm actually watching the movie, it's a movie. Like watching them do the castle run is fun like watching disagree watching the the original <laughs> like, the like a disagree <laughs> button <laughs> yeah. disagree the, is the new ding the clean yt freighter and how it gets all banged up is like it's fun like it's i i think you do have to divorce yourself a certain amount like you were saying brian of like this is like an idea of how things could have happened and if you can go into it with that attitude it's a fun movie that like like in the force awakens has so much love for the originals like there's so much detail like which i didn't pick up on the first time but so much love for han and Chewie and the millennium falcon is peppered throughout it uh and even just you know it's like kind of eye but like han gets to shoot first at the end like i feel like that was like a nice nod like i feel like there was a lot of healing ultimately that happened with this film. So I just remember Darth Maul. I remember that there was like <laughs> there was jokes about capes in a closet, and I just I just, you should rewatch. <laughs> of course, it. Lando has a closet full of capes. Come on, it's just like it's just so. Once again, it's, it's a Marvel Disney thing. It just yeah. feels so that you know. Anyway, Solo felt like a movie in the in the way that Rogue One didn't. Yeah, I think it was. How I'll rewatch it. Yeah, I got Disney Plus like everybody else. So. But but when you talk about the gold standard of what a Star Wars thing should be, I think that's the Mandalorian. Ah. Okay, well, where's my disagree button speaking, <laughs> speaking of Disney Plus uh, I think I'm on your side Michael hello listener Michael here I just wanted to take a quick moment and thank you for listening to Beyond the Screenplay if you're enjoying the podcast we would really love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts also if you want to help us continue to make these episodes you can become a patron on Patreon for $2 a month, patrons get exclusive Q&A episodes, as well as bonus episodes, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Terminator Dark Fate, 
and, very soon, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. This first year of Beyond the Screenplay has been awesome, and we are so grateful for every one of you who listens, enjoys, and supports the show. Thanks again, and now, back to the show. I love The Mandalorian. Yeah? Do you want to go first and say why you love it? Uh, I will, but it really has to do with just taking ideas from the Star Wars universe that we all love and consider to be canon, but then really separating them from the weight of the characters that we already have and know. So there are no characters in The Mandalorian that are people that we already have and know, truly. And so I really love that they're populating the Star Wars universe with new planets, totally new characters that we've never seen and met before, but in the tradition of some ideas that have been introduced in earlier things. So what you basically have with the Mandalorian, and I'm not the first person to say this, is a straight Western in a very, very traditional sense. It's a space Western. And it like, um, I was recently rewatching the episode from last week, which is not the most recent one, uh, but th- it was four, four. Yeah. Okay. Which is the plot of Shane. <laughs> And Seven Samurai. And Seven Samurai, yeah. That's and true. Magnificent Seven and the other Magnificent Seven. Right, but very, <laughs> but with the kid, right? Uh, it's very like Shane. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very classic Western. And so, you know, as something that has inherited a few different things from the Western genre, which again, I think Solo really does. Star Wars has sort of always had these Western undertones. And so a bounty hunter is a very Western trope and a Western idea. I love the idea of taking it and putting it into the Mandalorian it works perfectly and the mysteriousness of the mask and the armor and all that stuff the religion that we very know very little about i think it works disagree <laughs> I, well i just I, so i've only watched the first two episodes maybe so maybe it gets like you're wrong maybe it gets like really amazing but not I feel, by three but i feel like a show within within a couple episodes should like have me and like tell me what it's gonna be if it's gonna be more than this I don't know. I It's episodic. It's not meant to be one large arc. Which is a little I, frustrating in 2019. Sure, well, of course, but because I, we were expecting more of that style mm-hmm. of TV show. But, like, but okay. I like an episodic show. So it's a, it's a TV show. And I think TV shows Accurate. are about, about characters. And I find this protagonist so far in the first two episodes to be completely uninteresting. I don't have any sense... like. Just show me his face. Why not show me his face? I don't get why... It's against his religion, Alex. That's stupid. I don't know why I can't see. <laughs> and like you cast like a good actor in this character, uh, Pedro Pascal. Like, why not show me his face? It's a TV show. Like, it's not a movie. It's a TV show. I need to see his face at some point. I need to have something more going on here than like what feels like a video game story. It feels like a video game. It feels like a great video game, but not a great TV show. Like, this mission is now to go kill the boss over here to get the egg for the Jawas because, like, you know, we have a long boss battle, and your video game character, which has no face so you can identify with him, kids, while you play the video game, will be a characterless person to fight the boss. And and there's a cute baby Yoda, so it's all okay in Twitter. Episode two was a little side questy. Like, I think my I had a problem with episode two and three, which was like 
where he ends up at the end of those episodes was where he was at the end of episode one. Sure. Um, but then now um, that it's, I'm sort of like ready for it to be, like you said, Trisha, just sort of like an episodic. It's frustrating because we've talked about this before. I want something in 2019 to feel like something in 2019, not like some other thing. So I had to sort of like change my brain to accept that it was this episodic, like this week we have this, this character in the poster dies in this episode. So like they're not in a, more than one episode or whatever. There are very few characters. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think what works for me so well is, and I also wish the episodes were longer because they're like 35. They're very short. Yeah, yeah. But they feel like mini movies, which is strange. And I don't know. Um, but I think, and hopefully listeners, this will be the last time you hear me talk about Kurosawa because I keep talking about <laughs> No, you um, when talk about The Mandalorian, you have to. I, exactly. Like, I think one thing I've often thought about this with music is that you have a band who shows up and when they talk about who their influences are, it's like these 18 different influences that are all different kinds of music. And then the next band on the scene, their influence is that first band. Right. And they're not influenced by all the same stuff. They're just trying to copy that one thing. And I think that when you look at, the original Star Wars, George Lucas was so inspired by Kurosawa. Like there's Yojimbo, Sanjuro, and uh, Hidden Fortress are like three movies he cites. And then I watched the first episode and I saw Yojimbo and Sanjuro for the first time this year and and Hidden Fortress and Seven Samurai. And I watched Mandalorian and I thought, oh my God, it's yeah. Yojimbo and Sanjuro. Like even the music, the sort of like this kind of badass fun music that's happening as like the samurai walks away into the sunset. I was like excited. And then episode four happens, which is Seven Samurai. Like John Favreau yeah. was like, oh yeah, we just wanted to make Seven Samurai as like an episode of this thing. So I think what works for me so well is the, for The Mandalorian is that it, feels like it's inspired it's taking the same inspirations from the original star wars rather than trying to just be star wars copy star wars the same way but like it, is Force- that enough for a tv show in 2019 to look like a kurosawa movie it, it, like- it's not about it, it's not about whether or not it's enough like i agree with you like anything you know if you want to base one thing on another thing it still has to be a good thing you know and i think i think the mandalorian is good um but i just like that sort of the roots are are in the place that i want them to be um and i but, also but what's compelling about it because so far it's been it feels like a video game to me it feels so one dimensional like point a to point b like you need something from the jawas the jawas need the egg like you need the, like it, it feels so flat love it. for a it's tv it's like a show. 70s or 80s approach it's almost like you have to watch each episode as like a completely its own thing but like then let me play the video game so i can fight the boss i'm sure you can in about a year like (laughs) i guess i guess like but like once again it's not the 70s or 80s it's 2019 and tv shows in 2019 are about amazing character stories Mm -hmm. and i don't really need to watch a tv show that would work better as a video game is my problem they are developing the mandalorian this title character enough in a way that keeps me engaged they really are trying to like i'm just like i i want to keep watching and i want it to get better but like the first two episodes didn't give me enough juice to want to keep watching sure besides baby yoda which is like cheating to right just say but watch it for baby yoda baby yoda is cheating can we just write that <laughs> yeah. down on stone like <laughs> like people want to keep watching because baby yoda is cheating like and that's not the only no no no, that's that's why it's cheating you cannot not love baby like that's what's so frustrating about it right they know you can't not love baby yoda (laughs) 
I have couldn't agree. Very strong feelings, but it's well because it's, it's like I, I resent that. Why I, is that so wrong, I re- Michael? I resent that I feel like I have to keep watching just to know what Twitter is talking about with Baby Yoda this week. Like right. it makes me feel like Disney is just like punching me in the face, saying like, "Eat it," you know, just eat our products. Well, and so I'll let you say those things, and I, I'll <laughs> underscore what you're saying, Alex. Where it, it's like I think. The Mandalorian could work as a mysterious character that has like a very singular objective if there was something else happening. But it's 30 minutes of, like you said, here's your mission. Here's a sequence where you're riding, uh, trying to climb the Jawa machine thing, (laughs) but they're throwing rocks at you and then you fall and it's it's all fine in the end. You get the thing at the end and that was an episode. Like that's 30 minutes where you achieve a single goal in that 30 minutes. And if there was some kind of subplot or some other character. It's his relationship with Baby Yoda. It's there. Wait, there was almost. I mean, once again, I'm not very far into it. But like if episode two is an indication of the show, it just nothing really changed. His relationship with Baby Yoda deepens and grows. It is the only character relationship in the show because He's traveling around. Is and that enough no for characters. a TV show? Yes. I'll say ep- episode four is the first episode that really sort of explores who he is as a character. Agree. I'm not saying you guys are going to change your mind. They definitely but, won't. But I am saying like that was the first moment where I sort of said, I, I kind of know what this show is now. And I, I agree with you. I don't, on, I don't think... It's, it's sh- hard when it's not a Netflix show because Netflix, you can kind of get away with like, okay, I'm going to get through these four episodes all in one night. Right. But if you're making it a weekly show... You do have to get me in the first couple episodes. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair to make me wait a month before character development happens. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like a good writing to me. Yeah. One thing I want to say about it, though, is separated from like whether or not you think you know it's compelling and blah, 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 is there's, there's Star Wars TV shows now, like live action Star Wars TV shows. And I've been waiting. They've been talking about it for a decade. There were like... 40 hours written for something that then never happened and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, and as I talked about with Rogue One and Solo, like these movies that are trying to shove up against the original trilogy and be like, here's what happened five minutes before New Hope starts. And here how's this character. I'm just like, give me something that takes place in a totally different universe. It's like you have IG-11, who's basically IG-88, and you have the Mandalorian, who's basically Boba Fett. And, but still, the fact that it's like, here's just a brand new story. And I'm like, I'm just excited that that's a thing now. Like, I'm on paper, I'm not excited for casting Andor, but Diego Luna is going to be in a Star Wars TV show. Cool. Ewan McGregor is going to play Obi-Wan in a Star Wars TV show. Cool. Hell yes. Yeah. Like, I'm just excited for like them to, and hopefully, you know, people, the frustrations people have with Mandalorian, hopefully they will hear those and say, let's make some longer episodes. Let's make a more compelling story arc. Well, but I'm just excited that there are live action Star Wars TV shows now. Yes. In 2019 for the first time ever. It's awesome. I'm also excited about that. And that's why maybe I'm so harsh on the Mandalorian. Sure. Because we are in a peak golden age of TV right now. And my expectations for the writing and the characters of you know premium tv are so high and i know it's high and it's it's very difficult to do amazing premium tv shows but there's a lot of them that are so good right now that i don't think it's acceptable anymore to just be like this episode's about like stealing an egg you know like i I think you have to do more character work than that (laughs) i just i mean it's pretty i watched the first episode and i was pretty bored and i was like no i'm gonna give it a chance episode two let's do this and it was a side quest in a video game. And I just couldn't believe that. Once again, it's like, this is not a video game. It's a TV show 
it's supposed to be more than this. It's a weak episode too, in terms of like really making you feel like now the show is taking off. It's like if if every week is going to be a different boss battle, I don't want to watch this show. But it's not. Okay, I do. It definitely isn't, but I would watch it even if it were that because it's just it's taking a real risk by harkening back to something that made us fall in love with TV, like made us as a culture in the United States, fall in love with TV and fall in love with all this stuff. It's like the, the episodic TV show doesn't exist anymore. And we have a thousand other kinds of TV shows that are about these like long character arcs and these hour long dramas. Everything's an hour long drama now. I like the choice to make it half an hour. I like the choice to make it like really episodic. You don't have to watch one to be able to follow the thing. Even though there are these like subtly growing relationships in it. I think it's it I think it's counter programming yeah. in a really clever way, and I'm here for it. It's probably just not for me because I just yeah. I was just bored. Yeah. Fair to wrap up where I've kind of arrived at to kind of recount my journey as we've gone on these three three epic episodes of rewatching yes. and talking about Star every Wars. Star Wars movie, TV show, etc. There's so come many out. feelings that I know, have come it, out in these episodes. By, by, by the way, those of you who love the animated series, like, we're sorry that we We're very sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I never watched The Clone Wars. Yeah, I hear it's great. But I've kind of, you know, I I think I've relived my entire Star Wars journey these last few weeks where we rewatched the original trilogy and I felt like a child again and remembered why I fell in love with Star Wars and they're amazing and all these things. And then we journeyed forth to the prequels and I had all of the complicated feelings that I had watching the prequels, reevaluated some things. And then going into watching seven and eight and Rogue One and Solo, I started to feel very fatigued and I was like, this is a lot of movies. This is a lot of Star Wars that exists. And I feel like now at the end of this conversation, because of actually the debates we've just had about these different things, I'm strangely hopeful, actually, to bring it back to the theme that Disney wants us to feel <laughs> of hope. Disney approved ending to this podcast. Yes, where hope. there's enough things now, like there was this very painful like birthing period of we're doing new Star Wars and you're going to like it and it's going to be messy and it was painful and... But now, you know, yeah, there's the Mandalorian, which is one thing. There's Solo, which is one thing. There's the Star Wars Skywalker saga, which is its own thing. And maybe now that we've gone through this rough period, we can now have a a time where there is just new Star Wars things. And there's enough that there's something for everyone that tickles everyone in the place that they like to be tickled when it comes to Star Wars. Because we all love it for many, many reasons. Well, maybe it's like all of our illusions have been shattered now. You know, if you had hope, if you had hopes in different directions, you said it in a positive way. Yeah. Alex is like, but well, also no. we hate everything. No, no, but sometimes you have to, you know, like let go of, let go of what what, the past let the past die. The That's past what I'm trying die. to say. Yeah, maybe we've all let the past die now enough that there is a possibility for new things to arise that aren't going to be weighted down with the baggage yeah. of these are of these first entries into the Disney Star Wars right. canon. I, I'm just excited for, I mean, I'm excited for the idea of episode nine, like closing the book on this 42 year old like story, but I'm also excited for what happens afterwards where now yes. not everything is depending, hopefully not everything is depending on this original trilogy. It's just like, now we can go and let's play. Like, let's hand Star Wars to some people and go play and see what happens. Right. Middle Earth 2. Let's do that. <laughs> I agree with you in the sense that I think 
the world is rich enough to support any number of stories. So those of you that listen, and I've told you guys before, I'm a huge James Bond fan. The thing about James Bond is that it's a very, very old franchise, and we have five actors that have played the central character, and we have- Five? Yes. Six sixes. Oh, Trisha. Um, I'm sorry. Five up until Daniel Craig, who is our current Bond. I apologize. But yeah, we have- this incredible span of like stories and different takes we have now had however many directors it's a lot and and we have these different stories and the thing about bond fans is by and large we're sort of able to accept that there are bad very bad bond movies (laughs) and that there are always going to be bad bond movies like we're sort of in that place now where we're like look we like the franchise we love the character we love the world and the trappings that go along with it and and obviously different creators challenge our ideas of like what fits into that canon however those of us that love a thing are kind of here for it even when it gets experimental (laughs) yeah experimental yeah the polite word in space yeah of course (laughs) uh the broccolis are, I love the Broccolis. But are have they been in charge of sort of like overseeing every Bond movie? They have been. Okay. As so a that's... family, not the same individuals within that family. Right. So it's sort of the same as like saying the royals have been in charge of England for a while. Right. They have, but obviously the Broccolis are not quite... All on the same page or whatever. No. Okay. So that's... that's I was thinking about Bond when I talked about Lucas being sort of like the overseer of Star Wars until he then wasn't. Sure. And I was thinking like there are still some franchises, I think, that have had like the same person in charge of accepting what they are. But I feel like that was my whole thing about something being fanfic is that like like now we're past all of Ian Fleming's novels, right? Well, well past. Right. Yeah. So it's like now Bond is whatever somebody decides it is. And, and has been for a while. Right. And that's frustrating on one hand. It doesn't mean they can't make good material, obviously. Right. And they you know. are being safeguarded by the Broccoli's, as you're pointing out, the mm-hmm. Broccoli family. And so I agree with you in a sense. I just think that like... We aren't going to hold something to a standard of being passed through one singular brain. And given that, if we want a franchise to endure something like 60 years, which we're looking at with Bond, it's like you are going to have to accept that there are going to be bad Star Wars movies and there are going to be good ones again. And so what it means to be a fan is to go and see the bad ones and hope that by supporting this property and this idea and these characters that you're also going to be supporting the advent of good characters again and good movies again. And may the force be with us. May the force be journey. with us all. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Awesome. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this mega episode. Why don't we quickly go around and say what lessons we're going to take away <laughs> from the new Star Wars films? <laughs> Wait, real quick. I just need, from episode nine, I just need some limbs to be cut off because, like, <laughs> If you do the math, there are so many limbs lost in the first six movies, and we have not lo- we've lost like Chewie. I think pulled some off on Solo because again, that's right. a line in the original trilogy they had to explain. Anakin loses five <laughs> limbs in the first six movies. <laughs> he loses more arms and legs than he has. I and really feel like Jedi should get insurance for their hands. Yes, at the very yeah. least. Hands I feel and like arms. JJ, if you're listening, I know there, there's still there's like a week left. <laughs> you, I feel like 17 people need to lose their limbs in order for the new trilogy to like catch up to really the first Really measure two. up. Yeah. Fair. I'm, I'm quite hopeful for the last movie. I don't 
I didn't have any really any expectations at all for these movies after Force Awakens. It was kind of like that was the one that was most loaded for me. And then it was like, okay, whatever they do. And the, I've watched all the trailers for this last one. I didn't bother blacking out for it. The last trailer was great. It was fun. I can't wait for it. I'm excited. Uh, I think whatever he does, he has a huge job on his hands. And my expectations are just very neutral. So I'm just down for whatever he does. So take me away, JJ. I'm down. I'm basically gonna like it. And by that I mean and by that I mean going back to sort of like my Bond fanness, when I walked out of Spectre, which is a bad movie, to be very clear. I was not a fan of Spectre. No, it's a bad movie. But when I walked out of it, I was like, Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just when you get when you invest so much into a franchise, you're just like, Yeah, I'm here for it. It might be a bad movie, but I'm here for it. Like I like Moonraker. I like Octopussy. I like I like On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I like them, so I'm gonna like it pretty much. And I liked all the prequels. I mean, I I feel like that's I'm there. I think I'm I'm going into this ninth one in a very different place than I've gone into any of the other Star Wars movies, where it is this kind of neutral expectations, like you were saying, Alex. Of like, I understand the weight of what he has to do, and I'm ready for to forgive a lot. But this is also the last of the Skywalker saga. So there's part of me that needs it to be amazing in some way. And I think ultimately I'm terrified of 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 what it's going to be, but I'm happy that it's back in the hands of JJ. I think it's tricky because of seven and eight. I feel like seven was like, we're going to start a thing. And eight's like, no, now we're going to start a thing. (laughs) And now nine's like, we're going to finish the thing, I guess, that we started. We're going to finish the previous eight things. Right. Um, So it's a monumental task, uh, but I'm ready. I really want Ray to have a yellow lightsaber. I don't know why. I just, I feel like that's the colors he should have. What? I I agree with you. Yellow's a really great color. We haven't seen a yellow lightsaber. Yeah, so that's a specific desire. And the rest, we'll, we'll just have to see. You might be disappointed. Probably. Probably. Why don't we quickly go around and say what we've all been watching recently. Brian, you want to start? Uh, I saw a screening of Todd Haynes' Dark Waters, uh, which is the sort of whistleblower movie about the DuPont uh, sort of poisoning the water accidentally but then they knew about it and blah 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 and that's what the movie is um and todd haynes spoke afterwards and he's just a really smart filmmaker and very um positive about the people he worked with and apparently mark ruffalo is actually like seeking out these projects like he is so invested in some of these stories that there's a reason you watch a movie like dark waters or watch a trailer for that movie and go oh it feels like spotlight which mark ruffalo was always also in you're like yeah that's because that's what mark ruffalo is making um but it was on the surface it feels like a movie you've seen before but then he just does something there's something about it that feels like it's a movie that couldn't have been made before 2019 it just feels like really engaging and the actors are incredible. Um, Bill Camp is the name of one of the supporting actors. Mm. And he's one of those. He reminded me of uh, Amy Ryan in um, Gone Baby Gone, where you're like, oh, they just pulled someone off the street and taught them how to act. And it's like, mm. nope, that's just like a real actor cool. doing this very earthy, like believable performance. Um, and Mark Ruffalo, Anne Hathaway, like everyone in the Tim Robbins is great. Everyone is great in this movie. I think it does something on purpose with structure that I thought was really interesting. I think it might have four acts in a way that is very purposeful. And I don't want to say more, but I'm, I'd be very curious to hear um, uh, Todd Haynes talk about whether that was actual choice or not. Cause I felt like 
I felt like the structure of the movie was messing with me in a way that I thought was brilliant. Interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Interesting. Very. Trisha? Uh, I saw It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is the Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers movie, and it is lovely. I also saw the documentary like a while ago, which is called... Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? Thank you. Yeah. And the documentary is very much more about like the behind the scenes. So if you're hoping for like a Mr. Rogers behind the scenes kind of thing, won't you be my neighbor is your doc. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is more about Fred Rogers' legacy. And in that sense, it's rated PG, but it's not really a kid's movie. Like there are some kids in it. He's interacting with children. And Tom Hanks' performance is so lovely and wonderful. And he really is sort of channeling Fred Rogers in a way that you like, it's great. But it's not a kid's movie in a lot of ways. So, you know, um, Matt Reese, who is like the main actor from The Americans, if you've seen that show, he plays the interviewer or um, a reporter who's like interviewing Fred Rogers in the movie. I guess it's based on a true story, but it really is more about the impact of Fred Rogers on this particular reporter and it's like about him and his father who's played by Chris Cooper. The performances are great. Everything great. I just don't know if I would take kids to see it but it is like if you grew up with Mr. Rogers it's a tearjerker and it's lovely. So do recommend. It's blowing my mind right now that his first name wasn't Mr. Like literally, Fred Rogers. Literally Fred Rogers. I feel like my, my childhood brain never thought you didn't about know it. Did you not see Fred the docs? No, I haven't seen the doc oh, yet. It's, the doc I, is wonderful. You will cry. I know. Yes. I wasn't ready cry to, a lot. to bawl. But it feels, it's good. It's good crying. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. good crying. I just think it's, it's really lovely and the movie's great. I just think it's so funny that Tom Hanks keeps playing real people because he has like the least malleable face on the planet. Right. <laughs> Very Tom Hanks all the <laughs> right. time. Yeah, Alex? Well, uh, Brian and I went and saw the movie Waves earlier this week. It's a recent movie by... Uh, Released by A24, one of my favorite movie studios, just because they release very kind of auteur films. Uh, every one of their directors just has a really distinctive voice. And Trey Edward Schultz, the director of Waves, he did one of my favorite movies of a few years ago called It Comes at Night. If you've seen that movie, you know you're in for a very intense ride with a Trey Edward Schultz film. A uh, very visceral director who uses a lot of tools at his disposal, you know, music, sound cinematography to kind of just punch you in the gut <laughs> with his films and waves is no exception uh but it's a really beautifully shot movie uh it's basically about uh, a black family in florida in present day in 2019 and it's just like a very intense uh experience of like teenage angst and explosive sometimes violent uh moments and it's a movie that is kind of split in two in a really interesting way at the midpoint this event happens and it's like the first half of the movie is like building up to this event and the second half is dealing with it. So it's a really interesting structure for a movie of essentially two different character stories tied together in the middle by this explosive event. Uh, and it's just a really uh, impactful experience. So if you're down to go through a lot of uh, difficult emotions and, uh, and have a very, uh, intense audiovisual experience in a the theater go see waves yeah if you can see in a the theater do or if not like make sure you watch it in a very uh closed off setting because it's just it's just an emotionally arresting experience that mm. just that just really like watching the movie you feel like you're like transported to this other kind of plane of existence and then walking we all walked out of the theater afterwards being like so hello <laughs> <laughs> 
Also music by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. You yes. don't say. Yeah. Well, and I think I think what's I think what I do appreciate about A24 in general and the movies they curate is that even if I don't they're not all my favorite movies or I don't even like all of them, they all seem to be giving you a visceral experience. Like you you can kind of sure. you can go into an A24 movie and know you're going to see a vision of something. Yeah. And you may not like it, but it's going to be specific and it's going to be the kind of a tour vision and they're, and, they're yeah. trying to not just be every other movie and that's exciting right now yeah definitely. It's, it's definitely exciting yeah awesome michael yeah so i as if all of the star wars wasn't enough <laughs> i've also been playing uh the video game star wars jedi fallen order uh which came out a few weeks ago uh and it's really interesting it's fun to play it's challenging to play uh in a refreshing way for me but the the star wars story it tells is kind of like we were talking about as we were wrapping up it's this kind of new star wars story that is finally being able to be told and so it's following uh, a jedi who survived the purge after order 66 happens and revenge of the sith that's cool and so he's hiding from the empire and so you're playing as him uh, and and so it takes place in this really interesting period in Star Wars that hasn't really been explored in the films. Like we kind of jump past it, and it touches on things from the prequels, from the new films, from the original trilogies. It, it feels like it has its hands in all of it, while also being a singular, very personal story. Uh, and so it was really, I, I expected it to be fun, but I wasn't expecting it to be a really interesting. Jedi story that I hadn't seen before and that I ended up really, really enjoying. Yeah, um, it, it feels like an original trilogy story, but it connects to the prequel trilogy and the sequel trilogy and Rogue One and Solo, which is like what? incredibly impressive. That's wild. And it feels incredibly cohesive. Right. Cool. Like effortless as it does all those yeah. things. Uh, and so what was awesome is that Brian and I got to go and talk to the writers, some of the writing team uh, that made Jedi Fallen Order. And so we did a, about an hour long interview with them, talked to them about what it was like writing a Star Wars story and how they you know, made it fit in this place, but also just learned a lot about what it means to write a video game story and the process. We talked about casting and all these things. Um, and so that will be uh, an episode that we will be releasing shortly after this episode comes out is our conversation with them. It was a lot of fun, learned a lot, and it was a nice kind of end to this crazy Star Wars journey and ending it in this kind of other medium and seeing what they're doing with it. And, cool. Uh, yeah. So look forward to that. Well, we're really ending our Star Wars journey after seeing episode nine. Yeah. Because we didn't come all this way to just stop and <laughs> yeah. not, and not <laughs> you know, talk about where we're going with all of this. So Scared and excited. Yes. All the things. So we're, we're all going to go see episode nine, the rise of Skywalker. And then we're all going to convene and record all of our thoughts for a special patron exclusive episode. Uh, I'm I'm excited. I'm terrified. Same. There's just going to be so many, especially like like with it being hot off the presses, like just fresh in our brains. I'm very curious to see what all of our. The question think, is yeah. like, will Brian have seen it four times or twelve by Tw the time twice. we? Okay, twice. Oh. <laughs> okay. I'm here twice. I think oh. the time we have scheduled is literally like an hour after I'm seeing it for the first time. So I'm oh, gonna wow. be I'm gonna be really fresh. <laughs> That's gonna be nuts. Yeah, yeah. So yes, if you want to hear after all this our thoughts on <laughs> nine and where all the Star Wars has arrived, um, consider supporting the channel on Patreon. You get access to exclusive episodes like this we also have ones on terminator dark fate what else did we do no country for old men yeah 
There's uh, annihilation. Annihilation. There's a bunch of things. Q and A's. Once upon a time in, Mex- in, oh, yeah. in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time in Hollywood. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Lots of fun things. You'll be supporting the channel, which we really, really appreciate. Um, yeah, and thank you for going on this epic mega journey of Star Wars. Ooh, with it has us. been epic, thank hasn't you. it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My God, it's been fun. Yes. Um, but so we will hopefully see you in episode nine episode. And if not, we'll see you next year sometime. So, Happy 2020. Yes. Yeah. Everyone have a wonderful holidays. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Now this is podcasting. <laughs> no. Bye, everybody. Bye.